Good morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. BYU's got a starting quarterback, and his name is Jaron Hall. Baylor Romney's going to be the backup. No real surprise. That had kind of been the uh, the guess, the educated guess for a long time, but it's not official until the coach decides it's official because I always reserve the right to change their mind. But they didn't. Why didn't they change their mind? What did Aaron Roderick see? Here's the BYU offense coordinator with the media. Sure, I'll give an opening statement. Uh, Jaron Hall is going to start uh, against Arizona. He's, he's had a great camp, and he earned the job. And um, uh, the, the other guys have played well, and it was a great, it was a great battle. I've, I've uh, never gone that far into camp, giving everybody equal reps. Um, but I felt like it was warranted in this case, and, and uh, we did more team 11 on 11 reps than I've ever done in my career. And uh, Jaron earned the job. I, I told the QBs yesterday, you know, we, well, actually, we talked about it a, a week ago. They've sort of known how this was shaping up. And, uh, you know, I, this isn't my decision. This was decided on the field by their play. And Jaron deserves this opportunity. Still believe in those other guys, but I'm really excited to see Jaron play against Arizona. All right, Jake, and then Mitch. Yeah, A-Rod, how different is, is Jaron's game now as it was compared to maybe two years ago? Um. Similar game to what you guys have seen when he's played before, but I would say he's just a, more of a veteran player now. He's been around a long time. Um, he's been through a lot, and uh, he, he really knows our offense better now than he did then. And I think just the time of being in the program is going to serve him well when, when he gets out there. And uh, same thing goes for Baylor. I mean, Baylor's a veteran player, so that's, we have a lot of trust in him as well. But I, I, I just think, you know, yeah, what you've seen Jaron do before is what – what I expect to see him do again, just expect him to be a little bit more efficient, a little bit more uh, sound at managing situations and understanding the the full game. Uh, Aaron, uh, what, what have Baylor and Jacob told you their plans are now after this decision? Um, I think they plan on being at practice tomorrow, as far as I know. I just asked because the the presence of the transfer portal is all. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 those two guys from my experience with them, uh, those guys are high character, competitive guys. They understand this game. It's, it's not easy to go through 12 games with one QB. It doesn't happen very often. And um, these guys are all young. I mean, everybody forgets that talking about two sophomores and a freshman. So, you know, I, not even thinking about anything like that. If if they are, then uh, I don't know about it. KJ, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Aaron, any decision yet on the backup quarterback or the scout team quarterback or anything? I'm not sure if we'll see an official depth chart or not. Yeah, um, well, that competition is ongoing. If we if we were, if the game was today, Baylor would be would be second. Um, they'll we'll keep. Con- we'll keep competing all season, you know, and that goes for the starter too. Uh, You know, Jaron's not dumb. He knows he's got to go play well. There's good players behind him and I expect him to do that though. I have a lot of confidence that he's going to play great. Um, But all those guys know that in this program, competition is ongoing all the time at every position. And so we'll keep working there. And I will, I do have a, a, 
system where I can still give reps to both backup quarterbacks during the season. I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and I've, I've found a way to that I think is effective at keeping the starter ready, but also, you know, the, keeping other guys improving and ready to play in, in case they're needed. And I think it's worked out well for the last two seasons. All right, we'll take second round of questions. Jake, go ahead. Yeah, Aaron, when it comes to Jaron, how much concern is there with regards to his health status? Obviously, we saw him play in those two games. He left both games early in 2019. Yeah, that was unfortunate, um, but I'm, I'm not really not can't really worry about that. You know, it's been two years. He's he's been uh, practicing with us now all last spring, all fall camp. He's looking great. And we're going to go play. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously we're not a reckless offense. We want to protect our quarterback. We don't you know, we, we take care of our QBs as much as we can in pass protections. And uh, but our, everybody knows our quarterbacks are going to run a little bit every game. And, and that's part of the game. And uh, but, you know, I, I personally, I think those were fluky things. You know, his his injuries of the past. I don't I don't consider him an injury prone guy. He's a really tough kid. He works as hard as anybody in this program. He's in great shape and uh, he's one of the best athletes on this team. And I, I expect him to, uh, you know, be ready to play just like any other QB in this program has played. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, coach. Uh, what, what were some of the, the, the big leaps maybe you've seen in Jaron's game, th- this camp that maybe you hadn't seen in, in previous years uh, with him being in the program? Just his command, his command of the overall offense. Just he looks like he's in control out there. He knows what we're doing. Everything from pass protections to um, you know his reads in the passing game. Uh, you know we ask him to do quite a bit in the run game. Our quarterbacks probably do more in the run game than than people realize. He's, he does he does a lot of good things there as far as uh, getting us to the right plays. Um, he just looks like a veteran player so far in camp and and uh, now it's time to go show that he can do that in a game uh, he took really good care of the ball that was that was a important part of fall camp was Jaron had the fewest turnovers and um, and the most explosive plays and those are two very important things for a quarterback Jay go ahead Aaron you probably noticed Arizona is going to go with the uh, the dreaded double quarterback uh whatever you call it the co-starters uh did you ever consider that for your guys what's your philosophy on that sort of uh strategy we were gonna go with the three quarterbacks (laughs) just kidding no um yeah i didn't consider that no and um i thought we we had enough team reps in practice that we were able to settle it on the field and um, Kalani was great. Our defense was great about lots of 11 on 11 football. We, we had to sacrifice a few individual periods. So sometimes we're coaching techniques from team reps instead of where you might be coaching techniques from individual drills. And, um, but I thought, the, I thought it was well worth it. And it gave us a large enough body of work to really see all those guys play. They had equal reps with the first team. It wasn't like, it wasn't like one of them was only getting reps with the, with the third team O line or something like that. They were all in, they all had equal reps with first team O line, first team receivers all the way through. 
Um, and so that gave us the information we needed to, to sort this out the way it did. Okay, Jake, last question. Yeah, Aaron, Jaron, I think by some is labeled as a dual threat quarterback. How would you label him as a quarterback in terms of his overall skill set? I would agree with that. I mean, we've seen him do it. I think I think all of our quarterbacks are dual threats, though, and that's that's that won't change as as long as I'm here. I'm going to keep recruiting quarterbacks that can do both. But I think um, that's the nature of the game these days. Is if you have a quarterback that's a threat to run or that can extend plays, make plays with his feet, um, that's a huge part of the game, huge part of our offense. Here's BYU offensive coordinator. Aaron Roderick. When we come back, we're talking quarterbacking with Riley Jensen. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. PK was going on and on about, uh, you know, good-looking, handsome guys on the staff and all that kind of stuff as Riley uh, joined us yesterday morning. Here he is. Joining us now, the guy we love to talk to regardless of where he ranks on the handsome scale, and I'm not going to get into it, but I suspect PK's about to. Riley Jensen, our college football insider. And he joins us. On the Smart Rain guest line, it's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Good morning. I was just going to say, I mean, where does elite come into this conversation? Because I feel like, I feel like, you know, who cares about looks if you're elite, right? Yeah, but for me, it's just icing on the cake. <laughs> it's it's the gravy on your meal, right? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Got it. Love Got talk. It. Love it. talking quarterbacks with the former Utah State quarterback uh, <laughs> Riley Jensen and, and PK has brought up the fact that Arizona has decided to go with two quarterbacks against BYU. I thought before I heard that BYU should win this football game, and after hearing that, I thought. BYU should win this football game. For Arizona, you know, it's a progression and all that, and so Wildcat fans, I get why they'd get into this. But for BYU fans, I'm having a hard time getting worked up. Yes, they have to prepare for two quarterbacks, but I don't, I don't see how this should change the outcome. Do you? Well, it would be hard, it would be hard to say that, that, I mean, what? I can't remember the last time. Maybe, maybe the only exception to this rule where you had two quarterbacks that played really well, and and the team did really well was like Mark Brunel in like. And I'm sorry, I'm going clear back to like 1989 or 90, and I can't even remember who the other guy Billy was. Billy Joe rotated. Herbert. Yeah, there Hobart, you go. Herbert, there you something go. like that. There yeah. you go. They called him Billy Joe yeah. Gunrack. That's what I remember. Okay, I don't remember his last <laughs> name, but I remember the Billy Joe Gunrack joke. So. And then Bronco That's tried funny. to do it with Jay Keeps and Riley Nelson, didn't he? Yeah, and how did that work out? 
didn't work out too well, did it? I mean, I, I just think that there's maybe one or two, like, total times in the history of football that, like, the two-quarterback system has worked. So I, I don't think that bodes well for Arizona. I think that bodes very well for BYU. And I think I'm just kind of surprised that Jed Fish down there, who who's supposedly a big-time quarterback guy, would, would take that approach other than the fact that he just doesn't feel like he has a quarterback at all. And so he's like, look, we'll just – we're just going to do what we can to get through this, right? So I, uh, that's a hard, that's a hard, that's a hard one for me. That's a really hard one for me. Yeah, I asked Whittingham the other day with Brewer going to be the starter, and then um, they're playing Weber. And since they said by their own admission that it was neck and neck with Brewer and Rising going forward here, that I thought maybe they wouldn't come out and say it. Because Kyle is adamantly opposed to a two-quarterback system. But my line of thinking is maybe you give both guys a shot against Weber uh, and go from there. If it's neck and neck, so that's the thing about it. it, it, You're so close where in every other position you'd probably get some PT. But here, if it's so close and the other quarterback beats you out barely and then you don't play at all, Seems kind of a rip, especially against the game against Weber. But it seemed like Whittingham was opposed to that. Yeah, I kind of don't blame him. I, I look, you make the decision and you go with the guy. You don't. I, I feel like you don't mess around with it. I, I feel like quarterbacks get messed around with more than more than ever before, as far as like who the starter is going to be. We very seldom see a guy get named in the spring and give him the whole summer to settle into that leadership role. And, and to kind of be the quarterback anymore. It's all about, I mean, you hear Kalani talk about it. You hear Kyle talk about it. You hear Gary Anderson when he was the coach at Utah State. Oh, yeah, these guys got to compete for their position too. They've got to, so quarterbacks don't get to ease into the position. I think the very least you could do is once you name them the quarterback, like give them a little bit of rope. Like give them a little bit of like you can ease into this. Now, as far as the Weber State game goes, I don't. I would have no problem with with Charlie Brewer starting and playing, you know, up to halftime through three quarters, and then getting getting rising some good live reps. But I wouldn't want to give the message to the team that I'm still not sure who the guy is. If you if you pick the guy, you pick the guy and go with him. Go with it. You know, they say they're not naming him until now, and yet. If you know somebody who has access to what's going on in the program, and in, in programs where there's so many local guys, that opens up the number of people have access because, you know, players on the team. And A-Rod acknowledged, well, we haven't named it yet, but I think if you talk to the guys on the team, they know. Right? So everybody's been hearing since March, well, it's going to be, this is going to be the guy. At both Utah and BYU. So are we really going to be crossed up? Are we really going to be surprised after hearing all these rumors? I, I would be really surprised if it's not Charlie Brewer and if it's not Jaron Hall. I mean, I, I, to me, that just seems like the natural course of things. Now, the other thing that I'll say, you know, I, I was saying quarterbacks get kind of moved around more than ever before and they don't get the, you know, the, the luxury of, of kind of being named all summer, but I think I think the other part about that is if you're the second string quarterback, I mean, I, 
I don't care what school you're at, there's a really, really good possibility that you're going to play and you're going to play and start in a lot of games and you're going to have plenty of chances to prove yourself just because the nature of the position, you know, and I feel like I feel like there's just been a, a swing, you know. So so you go back to the 60s and 70s under Bear Bryant and, and kind of the offense is like clear back then. It was all wishbone. It was super athletic quarterbacks that could throw it a little bit, but, man, they were athletic and then these these quarterbacks started getting really hurt, you know, and and they were out, and it would cost teams national championships or conference championships, and people were upset about it. And then you swing into the '80s and the '90s and the 2000s, you know, back when I was playing quarterback, and it was a much different type of quarterback um, from the '60s and '70s, where you know we want him to stay in the pocket, we want to protect him, we want to be able to throw the ball downfield, we want this guy to be you know, a laser-type passer, right? And then now we've moved into the, you know, from 2005, I think Alex Smith helped kind of change that narrative, right, in 2004, 2003, where quarterbacks started moving into this guy that's super athletic and can throw. And, you know, there was a time where I used to say, God, man, I mean, who, who does everybody think they are? There's like four, five, four or five quarterbacks in the country that can run and throw, you know? But now I would say, you know, if you looked around the country, it used to be that, like, Oregon was the only guy that had a quarterback that could run and throw the ball. And then you'd sprinkle in Tim Tebow and somebody else, and you'd go, wow, that's that's pretty impressive that those guys can do both, right? And then you get to now where I would say over 50% of the quarterbacks in, in the country that are starting at Division One schools are really good runners and really good passers. I mean, they they can do it all. And but what what you expose yourself to when you do that is the injury bug again. But I think coaches are betting on the fact that you know they have a Romney in their in their backup system. They have Rising in their backup system, so they can run their offenses the way they want to run them, and they're deeper than they used to be. And so, I think it's an interesting idea. I think. It's an interesting idea to play both quarterbacks, but I think both quarterbacks at all of these schools are going to play. I, I just really do. I think they're going to have an opportunity to have meaningful, meaningful reps and meaningful playing time this year. So when you're involved in this quarterback battle, and a lot of times it's starting since spring, Rising didn't play in the spring, so it's a little bit different but the others in Provo did, and then it continues in the training camp in August, and then they make a decision. How deflating is it for the guy who doesn't win the position? Oh, it's always it's always deflating. As a competitor, like, and, and to play the quarterback position, you've got to have a little bit of ego. You can't just be like, oh, no, you know what? It's all, it's all good. It's all okay, right? It, it hurts. I mean, there's no question... That if you're if you don't if you're not on the winning end of that decision, um, it's very hurtful. But I will say this, and like you were alluding to earlier, DJ, like it's pretty apparent before you're even told as the quarterback because you can see who's getting all the number one reps. You can see the guy that's getting the first set of the number one reps. You can kind of see long before it happens. So it's. It's kind of like you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you hope it's not coming, you hope you've staved it off, you hope that you're going to be the starter, and then, and then, but you kind of realize that you're not, and then they tell you and it confirms it, but it's still hurtful. It's, it's not a fun position to be in. When I was, when I was competing at BYU for the, for the job, 
or what I thought was competing for the job. I never got I never got a rep with the number ones. And somehow in my naive mind as a competitor, like I thought I was going to prove all the coaches wrong and that I was gonna get and I was playing with the twos going against the ones. Sometimes my 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 stats would be better than the number one guys, the guys that were repping with the number ones. And then I was all excited. I can remember at BYU being so excited to get to the final, like, you know, the, the, the blue and white game or the scrimmage in the, in, the, in the spring. And just before we get there, you know, Norm Chow pulls me to the side and he just says, hey, look, like, it doesn't matter what we do in this game. Like, we, we're making our decision based on the way practices went. I was like, oh, so that's then, – then I'm done. Then – then basically I knew I was done at that point, right? That, that's kind of how he told me that I wasn't going to be the first-string guy. And so it's deflating because you feel like you've worked really hard and that you're going to get a chance to play with some of the guys that, like, can make plays for you. And, you know, he, he stayed true to his word. I had a really, really good spring game, and he stayed with what, what he thought was best for the team. And so that changes your career. It changes your thought process. It's hard. It's a hard moment, no, no question about it. But in my era, it's a little bit different. I think, I think if I was in this era today, I would stay just because, you know, there's so many injuries. And, and really, even back then, you know, Shoemaker, uh, Shoemaker and Federick were the other quarterbacks when I was at BYU. Um, Shoemaker struggled a little bit. Federick, Federick got hurt. And then Drew Miller was playing that year. That would have been my spot. I would have had, I would have had an opportunity to play at BYU if the whole situation had been, you know, if I, if I could have predicted the future. But I think that's much more typical of today's game than it was clear back when I was playing. Uh, that was the next thing I was going to get to, is that Kyle Winningham can go to a, call a backup quarterback into his office and say, yeah, you're number two, and that probably stings. But look at this. Look at the last four years of the University of Utah. They've had a quarterback make it through and start every game one time in four years. Huntley misses four games. Huntley misses five games. Last year, they, they picked a starter court, starting quarterback, and he made it 14 plays. So exactly. you got to be ready. And I guess especially if you're at BYU, where everyone seems to think they're three deep, because if you're number two and you're not ready, you mess up your chance, and number three grabs the reins, you may not get another one. So, you, yes, take a minute because it sucks. But then get on with it. Yeah, no, I, I you, you actually bring up a great phrase in the military. They say, embrace the suck, don't stay in the suck. You know, like, give it a big hug, roll in it a little bit, like, be upset, but give yourself a time limit for how long you're going to be upset because you got to get yourself ready and you got to be ready to play. And, and it happens so much now in college football that you just can't, you can't wallow in your misery for too long because you're going to get your opportunity. And like you said, if you're not ready for that opportunity, you know, the next guy will get an opportunity. And if he nails it, you might not ever get another shot. And so, yeah, yeah, be upset. Be upset for today. Be upset through this weekend and then be ready to go for practices and for your teammates and for everything that's good about football starting the next week, right? You think Taysom Hill is a starting quarterback in the NFL? Well, I think <laughs> – I think before this last performance, I would have said yes. Um, it's an interesting he, – he's an interesting quarterback. He has far exceeded my expectations in the NFL. Uh, 
and you can go back to some of the tape of me talking with you guys about Taysom Hill when he played at BYU. I, my, my biggest worry about him from way back in his days at BYU was his accuracy. It wasn't, does he have moxie? It wasn't, is he afraid of the moment or not? It wasn't whether he's mentally tough enough to do it. It was just, there was an accuracy piece and there was a touch piece that like concerned me. And last week, um, was the first time that I saw that get exposed again. Um, and so, yes, I think he's a starter in the NFL, but I don't, I don't know that it would ever be a long-term thing. Like, I think he could go to a team and he could start for a year and, and be a really serviceable, serviceable quarterback for a team. And I, look, I could be wrong on this because he's out, like I said, he's, He's outkicked my my thoughts and my processes as far as he goes, as far as as far as his career goes in the NFL, and you just can never you can never doubt somebody that has that much mental toughness and that much like the chutzpah that he has is just really really cool. But I kind of feel like we're getting to the top of his um, potential where. Yeah, he could start for a season for a team and be pretty serviceable, but the GMs and the presidents and the owners of the league are going to be looking for that that next guy. Like he's he's a you know for for lack of a better term, he's he's the guy that's dating someone, but you know she's got one eye on him and one eye on the other guys in the room, right? <laughs> and so yeah, he's pretty good. We're glad he's in the room, but you know they've got they've got an eye on somebody else too, and and that's a tough position to be in for him because it's hard to stay confident. And it's hard to believe in yourself when somebody's always looking for somebody else to kind of take your place. Riley Jensen joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, we've talked a lot about Utah and BYU. We have not talked a lot about Utah State. Have you heard anything different coming through these scrimmages? Is there any more hope or is this going to be a rebuilding year for the Aggies? Well, I mean, like I told you guys last week, it's still there's a lot of enthusiasm. I was I was at their practice on Monday. There was there was a lot of enthusiasm. It's fun to see a team like hustle around, try and make plays. They're playing relaxed. Um, I think that I think that you're going to see a team that plays fast, where you're, where you're going to see an exciting brand of football. My my question mark is is can you shake off? Can you shake off the results of last season? Can you shake off the mentality of the last couple of years where you haven't been able to win some of the tough games and you haven't been able to be in some of those tough games and move yourself back in the right direction? And I think that takes a lot of coaching, right? That takes coaching of the culture. That takes coaching of the players. But I think right now there's a lot of optimism, but there's a lot of optimism all the way across the country with a lot of teams. I think where we're really going to see where where the rubber meets the road is when they get in a tough game or when they get in a tough loss. Where does the mentality shift at that point? And I think that's where Coach Blake Anderson is going to move is really going to earn his money and earn his keep as a coach at Utah State is if he can if he can navigate those waters successfully. Riley, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. We'll have him on every week, all year long, as we've been doing that uh, with Riley for years. Love having him on. When we come back, love having Matt Brown on from Extra Points. He joined us late in the show. Really definitive opinions on where the alliance is going and whether the Pac-12 will expand. We'll get to him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and Matt Brown joining us now, covering college football nationally for Extra Points Newsletter and Podcast. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. So secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Matt, I'm irritated, and I suspect you are too. The college football season is almost here in Oklahoma, Texas, the SEC, and now this alliance thing. We needed this weeks and months ago. We didn't need this now. What are they doing? What about us? What about our needs? <laughs> They're completely screwing up my publishing schedule, right? I want this in July. That's extra point season, right? Like Because I'm the you. guy that wants to really get in the weeds with that kind of stuff. It's, 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 it was completely insensitive. And, and honestly, like, I'm even more angry because I sat through that entire Alliance press conference, which absolutely should have been an, e- uh, an email. It should have been a meeting <laughs> well, they did do an that, email. that went way too long yeah. and wasted everyone's time. They didn't talk about, they didn't say out loud the part that seems pretty obvious. The SEC's gone to 16, and it suddenly occurred to every league, wait a minute, they might do to us what they did to the Big 12. They're, giving, they're doing ESPN's bidding. ESPN's, here, take some money, we'll pay you well, let's get a monopoly on the top tier of college football. And so these 41 teams with a handshake deal, they're not held together by a document. They're held together by fear. Most of them fear that they could be on the outside looking in. It was fine when they did it to the Mountain West and the Big East, but they don't want it done to them. And so they're creating this alliance and more TV product and trying to generate enough money that the Penn State, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and Oregon, don't, Florida State, don't take off for the SEC. And they'll take a few friends with them, but they're not sure which ones, and it's scaring the you-know-what out of all of them. But nobody wants to call out ESPN and the SEC and admit they're in a position of weakness dealing from fear. So they end up saying nothing because they can't say what's really important. That's bad PR. Nobody would do that. Your thoughts? I mean, yeah, it's also bad PR to do a press conference where you don't say anything <laughs> and send out a big press release to every reporter saying that this is actually about academics. Like, I don't think the big concern is so much that the SEC is going to poach USC and Ohio State um, and, and create their own little 2018 league and, and sail off. Like, that, that is a, something that is popular uh, maybe among a couple of athletic directors and a lot of SEC mouthpieces, but it's not really practical. The, the bigger concern here is, hey, we expand the playoff in, say, two years, which is, uh, you know, the, and the working group that created that proposal did not include any input from the Pac-12, from the Big Ten, or the ACC. We expand that, and we let ESPN have complete monopoly control over this thing for the next decade. And, we, and I think the Pac-12 and the Big Ten realize there's a pretty good chance when they do their next television deals that ESPN's not going to be a major partner. ESPN might not end up picking up any Pac-12 rights at all. 
for the for the, this next television deal. Do you want then the, the or the entity that controls all of the bowls and controls uh, you know, essentially controls the playoff to then have a deep seated commercial interest in two and a half leagues and then put on their personalities trashing your league ahead of the selection show every single week? No. Like, and, and I think that that's kind of happened already. The only way to really fight back against that is to take the college football playoff to market, which honestly might not actually generate that much more money, but it's about control. It's about empowering Fox. It's about CBS, NBC, maybe somebody else getting into the bidding here, which is what most professional leagues do, to kind of diffuse that power. Because we're looking at a world here where the NCAA is as weak as it's been since the 1940s. And the entity that really controls college football, or to the extent that anything does, is ESPN. And uh, if you're not already working with ESPN or tied in with that league, you're probably not comfortable with that arrangement. Um, and that's certainly the case for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten right now. Is it best for college football, though, to spread it out in the way that the NFL does? Because you look at the playoff formats, and virtually all of these networks have multiple games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably better for the consumer, uh, especially if you don't really like some of the production or the, the fanfare that, that comes in with the college football playoff. I, I imagine it's frustrating if you're a fan of a, of a Mountain West or a Sunbelt team and you're watching a Thursday night ESPN game and they're all they're doing is talking about Clemson in the playoff because they have to pump up that product. Uh, it, it might be better for the, you know, the broadcast experience if that's spread out amongst, amongst other, uh, other, other companies. I don't necessarily know if it's going to make more money um, because by 2026, when this uh, comes up for market again, it's possible that more money will be leaving the conventional linear to broadcast television marketplace and going to things like YouTube or Amazon. Um, and it, maybe it won't command quite the, the same rights fee that it might if ESPN buys the whole thing out in 2023. Um, you know, my livelihood <laughs> doesn't, doesn't depend on that. But I think if you're a West Coast football fan, that's probably the outcome that you want. So then does CBS, with no SEC in a few years, are they going to end up televising uh, a Big Ten, Pac-12 doubleheader or maybe even two Big Ten games and one Pac-12 and do a tripleheader the way Fox does? And will Fox be doing the same thing with two Big Ten games and, and one Pac-12 game and you know FS1 picking up the rest of the Pac-12? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's entirely possible. You know, Both of those networks have professional sports commitments that can sometimes make going all in on college football challenging. I think anybody whose favorite team is, uh, you know, is, is mostly broadcast on Fox and knows what it's like when, you're, when your broadcast gets preempted for Major League Baseball <laughs> or, or, or for something else later in the fall when you end up on BTN or, or some other overflow network. But I, I, from what I've been hearing over the last several weeks, I don't believe that CBS is out of the big-time college football game, even though they've lost the SEC. I know they've been kicking the tires – on some low and mid-majors. Uh, you know, the, the ESPN controls almost all of those right now. CBS Sports Network would like to have some of those, like they have here with the Mountain West. Uh, and I would expect, as whatever's left of the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12, hits the marketplace in a couple of years, I don't know if they'll win any of those bids, but I definitely expect them to be active. You think in the short term, is there, uh, for, for the alliance maybe some bigger games out of it? Can we get anything out of it? No, probably not. I, and and the, at least at least on the football side. And that's just because you know Kevin Warren and George Klyakov said like during this press conference, we're not here to um, tear up any existing contracts. 
And the, all you have to do, guys, is pull up SC schedules, and you can see that most of the big Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC teams are scheduled out through 2028, if not the early 2030s. There's, there's not really room. You might have a couple of athletic directors that are going to try to move things around, and you might get one, you know, maybe one game that's not previously scheduled with the Alliance in the next couple of seasons, where it's way more likely to happen is with all the other sports that aren't scheduled a gajillion years in the future. So if you're a Utah lacrosse fan um, and you want to get more Big Ten or ACC games on your schedule before you're, what do you, I think you're in like the A-Sun now, great. I think that's possible. Um, there's already a Big Ten ACC challenge in, in men's and women's basketball. Could the Pac-12 get involved in some of that some more in the immediate future? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that that's, that's probable. So if you're a fan of Utah basketball, and you want to see Michigan State, like, I, I think, I think that's, that's something that could happen. But on the football side, by the time there's enough scheduling room for all this to happen, man, we might all be dead. There might, there might be a media. <laughs> College football could look totally different. Like, I, 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 I don't have the room in my heart to care about a scheduling arrangement in 2034. Same here. See, I think that in the next, like, I'm looking at USC's future schedule right now, and USC's got one game in 24, one in 25, but they are wide open in 2027. So the new TV deal isn't kicking in until 2025. So they just kind of bide their time. But from 2025 on, they've only got five games scheduled, and two of them are Notre or six games scheduled, and two of them are Notre Dame games. So I, I think that that, and I also wonder if the pack, if all these leagues aren't going to eight eight conference games, and then two alliance games. So they'll still have ten power fives, plenty good enough to get you into a, a playoff if you're a good team. Sure. I mean, you know, during, during the presser, you know, the Pac-12 said, like, look, through our TV deal right now, we have a contractual agreement to remain at nine mm-hmm. conference games. So if we want to switch to eight, you know, maybe we could try to negotiate that with ESPN and Fox if we're replacing that with, like, a big-time you know, game. But, but that's going to be a challenge, especially on short notice and especially because – they're really trying to negotiate a big rights fee increase. Um, depending on how you count that Notre Dame game, you know, that, that's possible. But if, if you're USC, and USC's already been complaining about how the Pac-12 schedule has done them no favors and how they have to play you know, Notre Dame all the time, um, if they're going to pick up another Alliance game, if you're going to count Notre Dame as that ACC game, do you want that team to be Ohio State or do you want that team to be Indiana? Uh, I, I, can, I can definitely see the argument for not wanting to super aggressively schedule, especially if – the 12-team playoffs not happening for a few more years. If it's a four-team schedule, there's a four-team playoff, there's not really a big incentive for USC to go more aggressive scheduling than they already are right now. So what do you think the SEC was doing during this press conference that said literally nothing? They were laughing. I've I've, I've even reached out to some athletic directors. They're like, what are we doing here? Um, they, I, I, I don't think they're taking it personally. I think they understand that this is the, 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 the binding principle of this entire organ entity here is not SEC. But the, the fact that they're not able to really articulate any kind of meaningful vision beyond we're not the SEC, you know, is, is not going to threaten anybody here, right? Like, if they come back and say, we've got a scheduling agreement, it's going to kick in 2027. We are going to push for these seven things in the NCAA Constitutional Convention. We want to do X, Y, or Z. Okay, then maybe you can respond to that. But platitudes is something that Big Ted's been really good at, you know, talking about since the 30s. Um, action has been a different thing. I think the SEC probably, they, they can just shrug anything off because they're the SEC and they're dealing from a position of strength. I think if there was anyone upset with what they were hearing in the alliance, it was ESPN because they know that these three are going to angle to keep CBS and Fox 
in play for the postseason because that will keep them in play for the regular season as well. Sure. And, you know, but, but hey, you know who owns the rights for the ACC's full, you know, all of their media now in the 2030s? Yeah. Is, the, is ESPN, which also makes you think, I don't know how stable this whole alliance is, right? Nothing was, there's no contract, right? Nothing's, nothing's written down. And ESPN can put the squeeze on the ACC because the ACC is desperate to get out of that deal. It's, a not, it's not a good television deal. They're going to be passed in annual revenue by Utah by Oregon State and by Colorado um, in, in about five or six years because they have no chance to improve that, those rights. If ESPN comes in there and says, listen, you drop your opposition here taking this to market, we'll redo your deal and give everybody $9 million a year more, you're going to be able to peel off a couple of those schools. Right. Yeah, and so do you see that that's, that's a, what level of legitimacy is that possibility? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that is, that is entirely possible. You know, there's, there's a reason the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have been working together administratively for, you know, since the 30s, right? Since, since, the, since the, the Pacific Coast Conference became kind of a thing. Those schools have a lot in common. That's really not that true with the ACC. D- despite all the, the protests otherwise here, they have different uh, commercial interests. They have different philosophical interests. Like, you can't get up here in the microphone and say, we are all committed to broad-based athletic programming when Clemson literally was sued this year for trying to drop their men's track team and when they're sponsoring the NCAA minimum. Like, they are explicitly running their athletic department like an SEC team. Uh, and that's true for Syracuse. That's true for Louisville on, on, on some levels. It's, it's not the same thing. And so if ESPN wants to apply some leverage or if some push comes back from other places, I don't know if you can keep a crew of 41 schools altogether. So then uh, this has always been on the back burner, but it goes to the front burner. If the ACC and the Big Ten really aren't aligned, and you make good points, then the tug-of-war over Notre Dame should accelerate because neither one can afford to lose that. And maybe Notre Dame does stay independent forever. But, man, if I were the Big Ten, I'd be a little worried that they got one foot in the ACC. Oh, sure. I mean, they, they have more than one foot. And it's not like Notre Dame can really easily join the Big Ten at this point because Notre Dame has a contractual obligation to join the ACC well into the 2030s if they join any league. And, and that, that is a concern. It, it's in the Big Ten's interest for Notre Dame football to remain independent than it is for them to join any league and potentially you know, upset the balance of power for revenue-wise. Um, and that's something to keep in mind for college football playoff deliberations, right? If, if there's a way for Notre Dame to win 10 games and get like a six seed and, and remain independent, they're going to do that until the earth stops spinning. <laughs> it's not about money. That is about institutional identity. There are enough old school uh, Irish boosters who would throw a temper tantrum because like people forget this. Notre Dame almost joined the big 10 in the nineties. Um, like their, their academic wing voted to do it. And it was, they had a riot among their boosters and fans. And they'll do that again unless they have absolutely no choice. And it's in everyone else's best interest, other than the ACC, to let them have that choice. Do you think going forward down the line in a number of years, schools like Utah are in a vulnerable position? Um, a, a little bit. I mean, I mean, there's this popular idea here every offseason, like the Power Five is going to split, right? They're, they're going to have their own 64-team super conference or whatever, and they want to do everything their own way. Well, you know, up, up until a month or two ago, I would have said that that's really not likely. That's not something schools want. They want to be a part of the NCAA. They want to be a part of the men's basketball tournament. 
But if we're going to kind of go down this accelerationist timeline, the magic number is not 64. The magic number is a lot smaller than that. And there will eventually come a point, if we head down this timeline, when schools like USC and Ohio State and Clemson will sit down and really think, do I need Wake Forest? Do I, do I need Vanderbilt? Do I need Purdue? Do I really need those? And then, you know, that, that could potentially put a, a school like Utah in a, in a more challenging position. And they, I think they've done everything that you could possibly expect them to do. They've been one of the most athletically, consistently successful teams in multiple sports in the, in the Pac-12 since they came in here. You have a growing market. You have maybe one of the only real college football cities, I think, within the Pac-12 footprint. Like, San Francisco is not a college football town. Like, Salt Lake, is the, the, that, that place cares about it, and it's growing. But there's no guarantees. So much about what makes you a dynamite brand isn't what you did last year. It's what you did 100 years ago. <laughs> and, and so Utah and, and plenty of the other you know, kind of newer money programs in college athletics are going to be at a more disadvantaged place. It's always going to be better to be Ohio State than it, or UCLA, for that matter, who's not as good at sports uh, than it is Utah or Colorado. That brings us right back to where we started that what's driving this is fear because there are a lot of schools like Utah. I mean, just taking the Pac-12, if you were slimming down to 40 teams instead of 64, 68, whatever, if you're slimming down to 40 teams or to 36 or to 32, well, in the Pac-12, USC, Oregon, and Washington are golden locks, nothing to worry about. Washington State, Oregon State, and Arizona, I don't really see a path. No way. I think you're done. Now, the other six schools... Somewhere between, you know, maybe two or four of you are going to be okay. Well, with three, it'd probably be three or five of you would be okay. But somebody could easily get squeezed out, and you just don't know who that's going to be. All you can do is focus on what's in your control right now. And, and you, you do that by uh, building up your financial infrastructure. It, it's, it really is more than just who's good at sports, right? Um, obviously that helps. I mean, the, the last decade has been absolutely atrocious for Cal and, and is going to put them in a, a weaker position if, if there's more realignment, I think, or, or more fissures in, in college sports. But it's not just that. It's also what can you do to, what can you do to make yourself more financially independent? What, what can you do to grow your fan base beyond your immediate geographic market? How can you monetize that and build a connection for that beyond just tickets for an event? Um, I think Utah's done just about everything it possibly can do and you just have to – you already – you know, the rare team that played yourself into a bigger league. Um, I don't think they're in danger of being banished back to the Mountain West tomorrow or anything, uh, but that, that's, that's, all, that's all you can focus on. And it, I think if you're a student of college football history and you look at the history of college football in the West, that's always been a problem on the back burner. It's why the Pacific Coast Conference blew up. It's why Arizona State and Arizona are in this league. It's why the Airplane Conference almost happened. The big schools in Los Angeles have always been threatening to bolt, and they've always had one eye out the door because they don't want to be with Washington State or Oregon State anymore, and there's always a possibility that that could happen. Last thing before we let you go, uh, do you buy the Pac-12 going to 14 teams? Do you think K-State and Oklahoma State would happen? And if so, is the Big Ten adding Kansas and somebody, maybe West Virginia, no, maybe no, somebody else? No, 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 no. I, 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 this is the kind of thing where if there was any juice to this, I would have heard about it, right? Like, I write about this all the time on Extra Points. Institutional fit matters much more in conference realignment than a lot of sports writers give it credit for. And that means something different for different leagues, Right. The West Coast Conference institutional fit means you're a religious private school. In the, in the Pac-12, that means generally you are a state-sponsored large research institution that's good at multiple sports. 
that's not Kansas State. That's not Texas Tech. That's not Oklahoma State. And none of them are good enough at sports to, to overcome that by themselves. None of them are going to substantially increase the revenue pie. If you bring in Kansas State, you're going to be losing money because there's, there, that, that's, that's the epitome of a non-national brand. That's a Mountain West school um, that, that made the right friends back in the 1930s. Um, there's, 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 there's no chance. Um, and, and we're, we're going to hear about that on Friday. They were basically saying that in the presser, like, you know, this union achieves many of the goals that we would have had here with expansion. Um, there's really not a good option for the PAC 12 to add another team that will appease all of those presidents, whether that's in the big 12 leftovers, whether that's in the mountain West, whether that's an independent, whether that's a team in China, like that, that team just doesn't exist right now. Matt, we appreciate the time and all the opinions. I bet we will be calling you to ask you to come on this show again because we have not heard the last of any of this. I, 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 I think you're probably right. Friends, this is the kind of thing that interests you. You can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter. You can find Extra Points, which is a newsletter that covers all of this stuff with original reporting at ExtraPointsMB.com. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, no problem. Take it easy, fellas. All right, there is Matt Brown. You know where you can check him out when we come back. What is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. There wasn't a lot of separation. You know, they both guys had good camps. They both played well. Both had their down moments. Both had their good moments. Thought it was good overall for both of them. Uh, we just made this decision. We think it's for the best for the team right now moving forward. But we have two good quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that we can win with. And uh, unfortunately, you can't play with two. There's league rules and there's my rules. <laughs> They ain't going anywhere. We're on the same as last year. I don't give a crap if they're vaccinated or not. They ain't going anywhere. Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians implementing his own strict COVID protocols after kicker Ryan Suckup, who was vaccinated, tested positive for the virus. Arians told reporters even vaccinated players aren't going to be allowed to leave the team hotel or have family visit the hotel on road trips. He said, for us, life is not normal. Families at the hotel, all those things out the window. Buck's obviously trying to repeat his Super Bowl champs. Well, now we know his political affiliation. Bruce is having none of it. <laughs> They're only there for a night. There's nothing to do. To, there's no visitations to be had. Get in on Saturday, go through stuff, but get up Sunday, play, and then they're gone. Unless it's, uh, you know, the West Coast, the East Coast, something or other that is an unusual situation. Sometimes if teams have back-to-backs, they'll stay back there. Denver Broncos announced that Teddy Bridgewater will be their starting quarterback. He beat out Drew Locke for the job. You just heard the head coach Vic Fangio said the competition was close. Click, 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 close. Good. I, I love Theodore getting his job. Because? Because I want to say Theodore. Teddy, a.k.a. Theodore Bridgewater. I just don't know how much confidence that gives Bronco fans. Not Vicky. Just said he had two. They can win with both of them. Mm, okay. And you're just questioning the confidence of Bronco fans? Yes, I am. Who are you? The guy who talks to Bronco fans. Now it's a 
Not a scientific uh, survey. Yeah, no. There we go. I think locked blows. Oh my goodness! I wish wish you were an introvert and didn't constantly yak with those people at the station. Too bad. (laughs) So if Locke isn't any good and Bridgewater can barely beat him out, what does that mean? I guess if you frame the argument the way you just did, Mm -hmm. it means they suck. Well, that was the conclusion you wanted in the first place, so you framed it to be that way. All of a sudden, I've become the best, biggest Bridgewater fan. And you used to talk to me at Channel 2, but now I I went down there the other night. My gosh, security escorted me out. Niners coach Kyle Shanahan remains mum on who will start at quarterback. I've got a pretty good idea, but as you guys can see with everything, I don't know our schedule a couple days from now. So, I've always had a pretty good idea, but there are a lot of days between now and then at every position. At least you didn't go to the death card and say you don't know if anybody will be alive this Sunday a when the NFL draft Nice ends. follow-up to that. Jimmy Garoppolo expected to be the week one starter. Trey Lance, Nate Sudfeld, also on the roster. Jets defensive end Vinnie Curry was diagnosed last month with a rare blood disorder that required the removal of his spleen and triggered complications that will cause him to miss the entire season. He was a starter on the Super Bowl title-winning team in 2017, was initially projected to return in the middle of September. Blood clots formed, forced him to go on blood thinners. No physical contact three to six months. Curry says he intends to play in 2022. He'll try again next year. Did you ever hear of a common blood disorder? It seems like they're always rare. Uh, I think there are common blood disorders. We just nobody says leukemia is. A I rare didn't blood ask disorder. you if you've, if there are. I've asked you if you've heard of them. That's just not how they describe them. But yes, I've heard of them. But no one says it's a common one. Somebody has leukemia. Right. It's like clouds when they're all dark and threatening. They must always be preceded by ominous. True. And disaster. Oh, anytime you use unmitigated, you have to follow it with disaster. An unmitigated disaster. Watering of the lawn. No, it, it, it never <laughs> has. If you use the word unmitigated, the next word is always going to be disaster. Every time. It's like a Q followed by the U. It's got to be. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Jaron Hall is going to start against Arizona. He's had a great camp, and he earned the job. The other guys have played well, and it was a great battle. I've, I've never gone that far into camp, giving everybody equal reps, but I felt like it was warranted in this case, and we did more team 11-on-11 reps than I've ever done in my career. Jaron earned the job. I told the QBs yesterday, you know, well, actually, we talked about it a week ago. They've sort of known how this was shaping up. This isn't my decision. This was decided on the field by their play. Jaron deserves this opportunity. Still believe in those other guys, but I'm really excited to see Jaron play against Arizona. Aaron Roderick, offensive coordinator for BYU. Who made the most explosive plays, PK? Who had the fewest turnovers? Oh, he said Jaron Hall. Yeah, I thought Aaron Roderick really uh, articulated what needed to be t- articulated because he said that, and that, that's a... You know, that that's like a tangible fact, you know. We're not at practice, but they're they are, and they film everything and review it a thousand times over. And so, having Aaron Roderick say that he had the most explosive plays and fewest turnovers. All right, if I'm a BYU fan, even not, but looking at it objectively, and no matter what position or what school is going to have a quarterback uh, battle, what NFL program, if the OC comes out and says that, 
how do you not say, okay, I can see why they made that decision. It makes complete and total sense. And both he and Kalani Sataki, who came on after Jaron Hall, said that they decided, the field decided it. And I love that. Majerus used to have a line that I don't determine playing time, the players do. And, and several coaches have used that over the years. And so I like that. You know, they didn't go into it with... Uh, this I offered this kid a scholarship and you offered that kid a scholarship so I have a favorite here or whatnot. They put it out there and they allowed it to play out and this is the conclusion that we thought it was going to come to and it did come to that but they have some evidence. I like that. Aaron Roderick is a great interview because he'll tell you he's not a cliche guy under any circumstance so he's going to tell you exactly as much as he can as to why he's making these decisions the most explosive plays fewest turnovers who can't get behind that I guess there are other things to know and they're there so you just have to trust him that assumes that the competition is equal that everybody got the same number of well, reps he said they did with the ones and against the ones so he said and it's now, as long as it's gone and he's been coaching yeah. over 20 years and for quarterbacks when you're not getting hit how different is the game so when you get to games will players perform at the same level so there's still questions out there but you know to your bigger point that's what people want they want big plays and nobody wants turnovers so if you can win in both those categories, you get the shot against Arizona. And I think that he's allowing fans inside a little bit by saying what he says, talking as he's talking. He's letting you know, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're seeing. If I'm a hardcore Cougar fan, I want Aaron Roderick to be interviewed because he's going to spell it out for you. It, to me, saying what he said yesterday, listening to it when they got on the Zoom at noon, I, I mean, I knew what the decision was going to be. We all did. But I like how he spelled it out for us, and particularly the fans in the Cougar Club, the people who play the, pay the money to be invested financially in the program. I don't pay a dime to be financially invested. I'm invested because it's part of my uh, – it's a requirement to stay employed, obviously. So, in a sense – it's very important to me because that's how I get my money. And to listen to him speak and tell us why, I really appreciated his, what would you say, candor? Yes, and I think that's very important. You need to underline what you said, throw down a few exclamation points after it. People pay a lot to be as close to and as inside programs, teams, clubs, franchises as possible. That matters a lot. It's an easy thing to say if they win, the fans will come. Well, obviously, winning is the biggest piece of the puzzle. But it's not the only piece. People want to be inside. Those, when you watch a Cowboy game on TV and some players running on or off the field because there's an equipment problem or they've been hurt and they need an x-ray or whatever, you see them run past those fans who are on the ground level in those suites. Those suites do not have a great view of the end zone at the other end of the field. There's big chunks of the game you can't see very well. What they're paying for, and they're paying top dollar, is to see the guys in the tunnel and say, yeah, they can go back to go back to work or in the neighborhood or whatever and, and say, oh, yeah, I saw him. He was limping really bad. I think that knee, ankle, whatever is really bugging him. People want that little glimpse, that little piece of the story that's behind the scenes that everybody can't see that they weren't getting until that moment. So if coach can give it to them by talking for five minutes, then that's really important to teams financially. This yeah. stuff matters in the long run. It do. USC wide receiver Brew McCoy will not face criminal charges stemming from a felony domestic violence arrest on July 24th. 
L.A. County District Attorney Office determined it had insufficient evidence to proceed with the case. That's according to a report in the L.A. Times. McCoy remains suspended from all team activities. The school conducts its own review of the allegations, and it is unclear if or when he'll return to the team. We were talking wide receivers right before that. It had to be July 22nd or 23rd. And you brought up Brew McCoy as they've got several guys who are good, but is a guy who could end up having the best season. Now, he's obviously got to get on the field for that to happen. But the point is, he's a talented guy and a big part of the puzzle that has USC picked to win the South. So what they decide to do with him could be important. Yeah. First-year Auburn coach Brian Harson tested positive for COVID-19 last week, remains in isolation, told reporters on Wednesday he's not against people getting vaccinated. Let me be clear, I'm not anti-vaccine, and any narrative along those lines is misinformed, Harson said. However, he's declined to say whether he or has or has not been vaccinated. Seems like the coach not going to practice this time of year would be a little bit of an issue. But apparently he's steering clear. Mm, you know, it depends on what his position is. I mean, he's the head coach. Is he coaching a position? How involved is he in the day-to-day minutia as opposed to coordinators okay. running the game and he's yeah. more CEO-type role? I don't know. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 2-1. Ground ball off. Piams kicks to the right. Piams fair hands. Throws the first in time for the out. Didn't go home with it. And the run scores as Bregman comes home. And the Astros win it in the bottom of the 10th. 6-5. Camarita's 1-2. And a camera's a ball. Deep center field. Forget. Sixteenth inning, AJ Pollock, a two-run homer to end a marathon game. One a.m. local time, two a.m. here. See part of that? Yeah. How, how long were you able to hang with it before you finally gave up? Because I can't imagine you stayed up till two a.m. having to do radio this morning. Oh no, I do what I always do, unless it's playoff. I go to bed at ten o'clock. Draw the line. Yeah. So it was one-one. Nobody could get a clutch hit. It just went on and on. Finally. The Dodgers scored twice, but then Fernando Tatis Jr. bounced a home run off the top of the wall and out of the park to tie it and extend the game. And then the home run you just heard in the 16th inning for the win. 13 innings was as long as the game had gone since they started putting runners at second base. This one, three innings longer. Win number 80 for the Dodgers. They won the first two games in the series with the Padres. The Giants won also, turned five double plays while beating the Mets 3-2. to two, So I did watch that game. That game preceded the, well, I was on the baseball network, different networks, but nevertheless, it was earlier, obviously, because they're playing in New York and the others are playing in San Diego. And they were talking about the Giants, first team to 80 wins, and they got 36 games to go. If they go 18-18, and 18, they can still win 100 games. Yeah, somebody tweeted that out. I saw that yesterday. That's awesome, man. Yep. I mean, they're probably not going to go that bad since they've been going. They've been playing year. at a six fifty. And it was so. the Mets announcers when they do the baseball network. I think they have their own broadcast, but I think that's like on Thursdays or something. So they pick up local. Yeah. Feeds. So it's Ron Darling and whoever the other guy is, and Darling, a longtime Mets pitcher. And they were talking about man, everything that could go right for the Giants this year has gone right. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> that they have, they have found so many ways to win games. Good for them. Pinch hit homers, five double plays, whatever it takes. Dodgers just picked up win number 80. They'd be the uh, second team in baseball. Tampa yeah. Bay sitting on 79. They're almost there. So Dodgers stay two and a half back as both the Dodgers and the Giants win. 
Baltimore, that massive 19-game losing streak is over. They beat the Angels 10-6. Get the monkey off the back, even though you're going nowhere. Got the worst record. Worst record in Major League Baseball. At least the 19-game losing streak. Well, hey, man, we still got a chance to catch them. You could. Diamondbacks sitting on 43 wins right now, and the Rangers on 44. But the Orioles at 39. It was a clutch losing streak by the Orioles in the, the race for the number one pick. It's going to be a good race down the stretch, I think. <laughs> I don't know that it matters, you know, baseball, because they, they don't always go the talented guy. They sometimes go the most signable, signable guy. Signable guy, right? So if you draft a talented guy and then he goes plays college baseball, what good did that draft pick do you? Or maybe just goes into the theater and doesn't play ball at all. Seems like a rare story. Do you have somebody in mind? The theater? Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, come on. Plenty of guys. They get an opportunity to come out of the Dominican? No, they say they'd rather go into the theater. Look it up. Mets star pitcher Jacob DeGrom played catch at City Field Wednesday and MRI showed improvement in his forearm tightness yeah. that landed him on the IL July 7th. And what was cool is they filmed it because he was playing catch with his dad. And he asked him. Dad? Want to have a catch? Yeah. And so Dad came down, was a little teary-eyed. With Kevin Costner's voice kind of breaking. And then they were, they were along the right field line, and they just had a game of catch. Well, That's what did. this is about. It has nothing to do with him returning. It's a very dramatic moment. They want to follow up on all the momentum they got from the Field of Dreams game. 12-year-old Gavin Weir, star pitcher for Sioux Falls, South Dakota Little League team, threw his fourth no-hitter of the tournament, extending back to the regionals. Leading his team to the semifinals in Williamsport with a 1-0 win over Torrance, California. Your old stomping grounds, Torrance. Sure. Struck out 14. Struck out 114 batters in the tournament. One hit, six walks. Taking a peer into the future in four years, the new story, 16-year-old Gavin Weir has undergone Tommy John surgery. (laughs) Think he can hold it off. That was my Think he can hold it off that long, huh? They normally don't do it until then. I don't think they do it earlier than 16. The Bees open a series in Tacoma against the Rainiers. 8 o'clock tonight. Steve Klauke with the call. Pre-game starts at 7.50 here on the Zone Sports Network. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Frank Dolce, our Utah football insider, coming up at 8 o'clock. Kalen Hall, former BYU running back. Father of BYU starting quarterback Jaron Hall coming up at nine o'clock right here on 97.5 at 1280 the zone. The big show. The big show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Television voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend Craig Bullerjack. As you examine what the Jazz are now, what is your perception of what the weakness might be for this club? Weakness, probably the young type of shutdown defender. Nothing against Royce, but he's been put in some difficult situations still defending some of the best players in the NBA, and he's done a yeoman's job. But maybe does Jared Butler have that in him a little bigger? Does Pascal have that? I'm not sure. Haven't seen enough of him in this system, mind you. And how much does Rudy Gay have? You know, again, not sure. We're going to find out together. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. They're getting down to the final few. 
Who are the best college football players in the state of Utah? Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. So quarterbacks getting named, PK. Who's good to go with them? Y'all. Who signs off? The Cougars, it's Jaron Hall. The Utes, the two deep is released later today. Can you sense the anticipation? No. No. <laughs> I don't care who it is. <laughs> You're not boys with anybody or anybody's family? No. I mean, they're going to pick somebody. I hope he does well. But, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have any... I would think that's the way most fans are, too. They're interested in knowing, but they don't care unless you have a direct connection. right? If you're a fan of whatever fill-in-the-blank, you don't care who plays. You just want the best players to play to give you the best chance to win. But who it is is immaterial to you. I mean, if you have a personal connection, I understand that. But otherwise... What difference does it make, especially now, if we get into three or four or five games and we've seen both guys play and you, everybody plays armchair quarterback or Monday morning quarterback, however you phrase it, and so you may like uh, this guy or that guy. We've all done that. I think they should go in this direction or that direction. Uh, you know, I understand that. But for right now, since we, we've never seen either one of them throw a pass in a Utah uniform, that mattered. I mean, Cam Rising just got a couple of series. That wasn't nearly enough. No, you don't make any judgments couldn't on that. Couldn't get a read off of that. After, and last year, where who knows who was practicing from day to day, and you could practice for a day and then not practice for a week with all that stuff going on. So th- throw that out the window. Uh, you have to feel good about the prior spring, and that's where Rising took a big step. Before, uh, well, they didn't even have spring then, so I didn't know that's not true either. Uh, it was in their little training camp thing that they had. So whoever it is, if I'm a Ute fan, I don't care. I just want the guy who can get the ball into the end zone the most. That's all that matters. I mean, expectations are high. Brett McMurphy. Brett McMurphy yes, has them playing in a Rose Bowl. Hello. Yeah. A Rose Bowl, man. So expectations literally have never been higher. I think in 19, they were very high, but I don't know if they were higher. It might be as high, people right. expecting, but but since when have they been picked to go to the playoff? I don't think ever. Playoff? There's like seven or eight teams tops they get picked, and we know who they all are, and seven is probably stretching it. Uh, so they're not picked to go to the playoff. Maybe they can work themselves seven, into it. Seven was stretching it. I'm at six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't go through my mind. I just picked a number randomly. Uh, so... Uh, I guess seven would be if somebody other than uh, Alabama or Georgia is supposed to win the oh LSU win the SEC yeah Auburn. if uh, LSU or Auburn would be would be Florida. seven eight nine yeah the usual suspects there well, the, the second tier it's guys. Alabama and Clemson it's Ohio State yeah. and Oklahoma then you got to put in Notre Dame and Georgia mm, I would debate Notre Dame but uh, Georgia's on the periphery. I don't. I really don't know that you pick anybody else though. Outside of those four, they ought to just have their annual uh, tournament. Like you know, they used to play the Big Five in Philly in basketball. You knew the teams every year that were inside the city. Uh, that's what the playoff has become. We know the teams. Just go through this dog and pony show until we get there. 
for the rest of us, Utah, you're playing for the Rose Bowl. And a lot of folks think that they've got, they certainly have an excellent chance right now anyway. And people think that they uh, should be the favorite to get in there, particularly if Oregon, because the way it plays out, if, if, it's, if it so happens to be Oregon or maybe Washington on the other side gets into the playoff, then you move up. So uh, that's how that works. I don't know that McMurphy's picking them. In fact, I don't think he is. I think he's picking them uh, to lose in the conference final with Oregon to go. I'd have to double-check that, uh, possibly to get into the playoff. But uh, nevertheless, if you're picked to go to the Rose Bowl, you're going to have a great season, and especially because you've never been there. You're going to win a lot of games, and you've yeah. got to win some big games. Oh, of course, yeah. also, he'd have them you know, losing a conference title game for the third time in four years. Hmm. <laughs> Still a great year, yeah. But that would frustrate yeah. you fans, you uh, know. In the moment, it would. Yes, I think they were frustrated the first time because they didn't have their weapons. The second time, they got smoked, and that was something that we didn't foresee. And Herbert and Verdell and those guys and Thibodeau on the defensive side as a freshman just ate those guys alive, and that was a surprise to us all that uh, they got handed. The margin of defeat was very much a surprise. So, um, but it, it's, I get the frustration in the moment. And the fact you got smoked by Oregon wasn't a good look, but you still had a really good season. I throw out the bowl game. Uh, th- those things, I know they, they sort of count now. I mean, you put all your eggs in the basket of trying to do this and you don't do that, and it ends up being deflating and you go down. And then how many guys don't play based on what's going to happen in the draft? uh, Yeah, and they were flat as can be in that second half. Uh, Well, virtually the whole game against uh, uh, Texas, but the year before, the second half against Northwestern. Uh, All right, they lost, so be it. Uh, Everybody's looking to get out of there anyway. Uh, but if they get to that f- that far, and and to me, you you basically you won the South three years in a row. Uh, they probably weren't going to win the South if they played a full schedule last year. So three out of four, yeah, same, assuming they played it because they needed they needed some time to reload. You can't send send that many guys the, off to the NFL and expect to just go 8-1 and one again. If they did, then that would have been incredible. So it probably wasn't going to happen. So if they win it this year, 3 out of 4, then you've established yourself as the premier team in the South. Even if you lose that conference title game, I understand that. It would be frustrating in the moment, but you know we're getting way ahead of ourselves just winning the South. But the point being, they have high expectations, and I don't care who is the quarterback. If I'm Ute season ticket holder or watch it on all the games on the television, I want who they think is the best of the three or four quarterbacks they have on scholarship. And the good thing about it is you got Andy Ludwig having a significant factor in the decision, and this guy is a big-time veteran. What did he say? I think he's been doing this like 34 years, and he has coordinated all sorts of offenses from wide open to Wisconsin, run the ball all the time with those big cornbread dudes they've got up front. And then Wisconsin always has 1,000-yard rushers, if not 1,500-yard rushers. We know how Wisconsin is with their football. And so he's done that. He's done all sorts of offenses. And so if he's making a decision, I'm confident they're choosing the right guy. And Brewer's got all this 
street cred from 9,000 yards, right? It's like etched in my mind. <laughs> How many times have we read yeah. that? <laughs> yes. It's like, I, I don't know. I don't even know RG3 stats, but I know Charlie B's stats because <laughs> we keep hearing about it. So it's time to get going here. Uh, and it's an exciting time for them. So they'll come out this morning. They're supposed to, I guess they're going to email is what they normally do. And Kyle likes to play the cat and mouse game. He picked Thursday. So, like, once he makes a statement, you got to stay with that. Like, we're Thursday. not going to be reactive. <laughs> Did you love that? I loved it when yeah. he said that. Thursday is the day. It's like it's some magical day. It's the 11th commandment. We do what we do, and we never change. But yeah. you, close, you close practices for BYU game, you do change. Okay, but now that, that was at the that time. was then. Now he's closing everything, so now it's good. But no, but see what he would say is that yeah, but we always do that. We always close up for the BYU game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. would be his response. And You're that right. was that when it be. was at the end when they're in the same conference. Yeah, it's different now. So now everything's closed, so it doesn't matter. You can't get a peek of anything. Uh, they, I mean, they've shut it down completely. Uh, the good thing is they haven't shut down any interviews. As far as that goes, if you want to go up and interview whomever, although the other day they wouldn't, they didn't have any of the quarterbacks available, which I thought was silly too. I mean, it's football, it's Weber State, but well, what's the point? You know what? That's a sign of that their program has elevated to the point where they could play cat and mouse with media. And media will still show up instead of saying, screw it. Yeah. Whereas in days gone by, years gone by, come into the film room. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It, yes. Show up. We'll, we want you here. We'll go pick you up and bring you. I mean, I mean I'm exaggerating. I had to set it up. It isn't something you can do casually. You can't just show up. But I had to set it up. But when Kyle was in his uh, first or second year, I think it was his first year, he, um, I, I set it up and got to watch film with him for a story. I don't know. I think I got like 30 or 60 minutes or something. Oh, yeah. And he took shots at me at that because I heard about that. He took shots at you? Mm-hmm. No, really? Yeah. I remember taking shots at, um, he was upset with Michael C. Lewis that day. That's what sticks with me. No, well, that, of that's the, not shots. Because of the, um, that's anger. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because playful of the shots he took at me because I heard about it. Uh, the backhoe. Into the middle of the field. Uh, so, but now it's a sign that their program, I don't want to say doesn't need the media, but they can play these games. And especially now when you got the dot comers and most of them are hardcore fans of the program. So they just want to be there because they're fans. Uh, I don't know how much Yach would know if any of them actually make a living doing this, but you see them there and, and they're, a lot of them have other jobs. And so they're going to be there because they just. They're fans of the program, and they want to be there. And good for them. They've got their place. I don't have any problem with them. They're they're nice people, and they do they do good work. Uh, and then the regular media. Now, if he says we're going to have have media availability, where we'll announce the quarterback at two a.m., everyone's going to show up. Well, back when, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a sign of respect for their program. I think that they how much they advance and you can make an argument man that just a very few programs have advanced as far as the University of Utah to where they were and where they are I mean everybody's got to get there at some point it's just that like for BYU got there but it seemed like it's you know that was 40 years ago it's so far 50 years in the ago. past yeah. that it doesn't even count 
whereas Utah is more recent where they in were and where time, they are. In that time span, you would look at how Boise State is advanced in this part of the country, TCU and Louisville and other parts of the country. But everybody has their era where they went to, where they raised their profile dramatically. Miami and Florida State were doing it kind of in the same era BYU is doing it. All right, you hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK. I don't think anybody out there, I haven't heard, and I haven't walked through Channel 2, so I can't get the entire pulse of the people ah. to be able to make this statement, but I haven't really heard anybody say, oh, they should start Romney or Rising. McKay Star posted on our Facebook page, I wanted Romney a quarterback. Troy says Hall is prone to getting hurt. I hope he does not get hurt. Identify him as the starter, as the best guy, get everyone's hopes up, and then he gets hurt. Is he prone to get hurt because he had it two years ago twice? Does that make him injury prone? In most people's eyes, yes. See, I disagree on that. The number of injuries per snaps in his college career. Because both of them were concussions, right? Yeah, and so, I... Well, I asked Aaron about that yesterday on that press conference, and he said that this he, he felt like it was more of an exception what he suffered. You're right. See, injury-prone was Luke Staley. Oh, yeah. You're going to get tackled in football if you're a ball carrier. Ankle, knee, hip. Right. Hand so I would be far concern, more concerned about those things. And Luke Staley was the best running back I've ever seen in this state. But he had injury issues. Here... It sounds simple enough, but don't get hit in the head. You're going to get tackled. Jaron Hall will be tackled. He'll be tackled against Arizona. I'd be more concerned about from the neck down if that were the issues where he kept having, like Taysom Hill never got hit in the head, right? Is a foot. The knee. And then the foot in Nebraska, right? Wasn't it a foot? Right, so it's all those things where you're where you're doing football plays every time. And Nebraska was really bad because he was just running. It yeah. wasn't even contact against Utah State when he tweaked something. Then it was contact. Right, he got hit. That's a football play. Guys don't always get hit in the head. It happens sometimes. Yeah, I but mean, that was Justin what, Fields got his head took off the other day. <laughs> that was a violent his helmet. Flew. Yeah, Whenever I mean, you gosh, say a football man. player getting hit in the head, I'm always going to think of Travis Wilson at Michigan. That, that too. Yeah. That was well, when he went and flew. Yeah, when he flew and then he landed on his well, face and yeah, skidded. As was, he said, that was not the wisest decision. <laughs> he was trying to make a play. He was. Uh, so, I'd be more concerned about the lower portion because that's that's a common occurrence that's going to happen. You can complete a hundred yard touchdown pass and still have that happen. So, the concussions <laughs> are nothing to just look the other way by any stretch. But it seems like maybe that's not as common a play as opposed to just simply getting tackled, pushed out of bounds, whatever. You know, and the thing you got to worry about for quarterbacks, you see sometimes an offensive line rolls up on him, you know, where he's looking, his eyes are downfield, yep, and somebody some falls, falls into and, him. Yeah, and then that, that's always, those things always suck because, you know, friendly fire hits you that way, and that just remains to be seen. Obviously, I don't want the kid to get injured at all. But I don't know that I would call him injury-prone yet. Eldon speaks for a lot of people when he says, get on with it already. I'm ready for kickoff. Oh, kickoff you're talking about? Yeah, when he says get on with it already, I think he's 
He wants a game. Let's go. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, what does a championship meal look like, PK? Where do you go? What do you eat? We will get to that next, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Dan Walking from USA Today. They announced this big alliance. Doesn't seem like it's much in terms of scheduling and all this other stuff that they paraded out yesterday. They're trying to stand together to shape what happens with the college football playoff. There's a lot of reasons for these leagues to do that, especially the Pac-12. Look, if I were them, I would have just put out a press release that said, hey, listen, we are working together to address NCAA governance in the college football playoff where our interests are aligned, and I would have just left it at that. Uh, but when they tout a historic announcement, well, what's historic about it? And the reality is nothing. And really, they're going to work together to make sure that the college football playoff is tilted toward their interests and not the SEC's. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Reminding you, Friday we'll be joined by a men's health expert from the University of Utah Health discussing Peyronie's disease, a surprisingly common disorder affecting men. Special thanks to U of U Health for joining us Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. So in the world of golf, the big story is Tony Finau breaks through, wins a tournament, first time in five years. He's going to play in the Ryder Cup. Might be setting himself up for a massive payday here at the end of the playoff. He is in good shape here with a couple tournaments to go. We'll see if he hits the $10 million bonus jackpot or not. How do you celebrate such a massive win, PK? Meal at Ruth Chris? I can see that happening. But then, Tony, in his media availability, says, followed it up at 3 a.m., with a trip to Mickey D's. Oof. And another, I don't know what that turned out to be. Two, 3,000 calories? Well, I think he said he had a quarter pounder and a Big Mac. Yes. Big Mac double quarter pounder with cheese. Ten McNuggets, a large fry, an Oreo McFlurry. Oh, he had water, though. And a bottle of water. Oh, so. so no Coke, but, you know. So he gets out at 3 a.m., and at 8 a.m. he's at the course. He goes to sleep at 5 a.m., wakes up at 8, and flies to Maryland for the next tournament. Yeah, you wonder how he's going to do. There's a lot of celebrating, obviously. Uh, but And he talked about his choice of uh, food there. Ruth Chris is a high-end deal, so you get that. Uh, but him and Summer Hayes, who was with him, I guess, they couldn't sleep, so they went to McDonald's at 3 a.m. <laughs> well, he's actually very strict on his diet. That's what he said. They're very regimented, and you look at him, and he's very lean and athletic-looking, obviously. Uh, so, obviously, he has to be that way. Uh, and those guys, you know, they, they work out a lot. I had the opportunity to watch a VJ Singh work out once at, uh, in a hotel. We were, we were in Vegas. And I got up way early like I normally do. I was down there at 7 a.m. in the workout room. And VJ and his trainer were in there. It was just three of us. 
the guy kept looking at me like sending off a vibe. Don't you dare come. (laughs) (laughs) We're working. Stay away. Yeah. It's like, well, all I would do is just say hello anyway. I'm not going to engage him in conversation. Conversation. (laughs) And another thing. What do you think? What do you think about my swing? (laughs) Just pantomiming my golf swing. I think it sucks. You're an amateur. (laughs) <laughs> because VJ was into it, but the trainer kept looking at me. <laughs> like, I, I, he must have known, okay, I know. Plus, it's in Vegas. It's at that uh, JW Merritt on the west side in Summerlin. That's where they play the tournament. And I've seen, we used to go down for a uh, Jimmy Buffett concert. He'd always play the last couple of us Saturdays in October. And I went like 10 years in a row to go to that show. We figured, why not? We enjoyed it. It became a thing where we were doing it every year. So and it was the same time as the tournament. So I had seen a bunch of guys uh, from the PGA tournament there over the years. Brant Snedeker and I were checking our cars in at the same time. So, uh, but they, so they do work out, and I'm sure Tony obviously works out. And then, and I, the thing that was interesting to me is the th- stuff that they were working on were, was clearly designed to improve your golf game Every, everything you, just the way the way they were exercising and stuff you could tell that they were all designed best for golfers so uh tony splurges at 3 a.m i think at 3 a.m i'm probably getting breakfast burritos i think i've already graduated to the next day i don't know that i'm getting burgers from the prior day <laughs> i'm going the next day so i'm looking ahead so i get breakfast food at that at that time of morning, I don't know that I could eat that type of food. When I started doing radio at the student radio station, there I was a freshman, and there was a uh, uh, I was the sports trivia expert on the show, movies and music and all kinds of pop culture stuff. So you're an expert again because yeah, you told us you were an expert at lip reading. I, first, now you're an expert at this. The first two weeks, wow. the first two weeks in the dorms, <laughs> trivia won, and lip reading. I won all, all right. the I won all the prizes, and that's when Dan Kerman said, "Why don't you come down and just be the sports guy?" I'm not an expert in anything. You just called that's yourself true. an expert. That's true. Actually, you are an expert. That's you not just called yourself an expert. Yeah. So <laughs> after the show, if you would let me get to the point, we would go to Caro's, and we were. Literally, we were texting about it yesterday, and a lot of guys, like Dan would always get the club sandwich. He would do yesterday's meal, like a bonus dinner. I'm with you. The show was midnight to 2, and at 2.20, we'd be at Caro's, and it'd be the uh, French toast or pancakes with the scrambled eggs. I'm into breakfast for the next day. Breakfast food is the best. I love breakfast food. Food is food. Hit it. You hear scrambled eggs. You're Let's a go. Food guy. You put out you're going to Nebraska. Any good places to eat? Yeah. I would never think to do that. Mm. Good place. If, if food is food. <laughs> My father in law says that all the time. <laughs> food is food. Hey, do you want this? Do you want that? Food is food. <laughs> he doesn't care. I never got into food. There you go. I mean, it, the only food. That I would get into in a celebratory manner, and I can't do it anymore because my mother's gone, was her Italian food, which was the best in the biz. It was really, really good. I tell the story of my sister's 50th birthday party. I had a surprise party for her. I was so sneaky. Closed on a Saturday. Called her in the morning. 
Of course, he can't be here, but yeah. he made the call. He made yeah. the effort, and yes. then they just put it out of their minds. So right. when you show up, right. stop fries! Uh, <laughs> I'm the man. Look at what I did. I know it was really <laughs> awesome by me. <laughs> You're an expert. <laughs> I don't know that I went down for the party. I think I went down for another reason, and I can't remember. I think it was they had, they used to have more than one. Now they just have the Chicago pre-draft camp. And they had one over at... Uh, yeah, they had one in Phoenix. And it was at ASU. And I think that's what it was for. And so it started she like on a Monday. And they had the surprise party with her uh, on the Saturday. And, and I flew down with Phil Mickelson's mother-in-law, Renee. She lived around the corner. I got to know her well before, uh, before she uh, moved to Was she flying around. with the grandkids? Because then it would have been... No. Renee and the kids? See? No, actually, they lived in Phoenix then. She was going to see... They have, they've since moved a couple times, but he lived in the Phoenix area at the time. So she was going down to see Renee was going down to see the kids, uh, actually the grandkids. So uh, and and I can remember we had, she had my my sister is a big wig in the school district and had tons of people there. And I can remember them saying, I remember this one guy saying, "This is as good as any t- food I've ever had." <laughs> so that's what I would do if I had to go steak in town. Ruby River. I haven't been to Ruby River in a while. Me either. Yeah. I like going there. I was the place. one on 7th, down by where we been, used to work? Have you been to Ruth? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Absolutely. 700 East and uh, 3rd, 4th, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Have I been to Ruth Chris? Have you been to Ruth Chris? Uh, a couple of times. They have one in Park City uh, at the golf course. Yeah, I haven't been to that one. I've been to the one downtown. And then the downtown, uh, the yeah. other hatch, had us uh, there for a big Christmas dinner, didn't Yeah. It? All of so. us. Everybody who was on the on our staff at that time, we're going back many years, and we all went. So the one that's downtown, yes, that, yeah. that time. So I've been twice. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 of the zone. Frank Dolce, Utah insider, former Utah quarterback, is going to join us next. Kalen Hall, former BYU running back, father of Jaron Hall, who just won the starting quarterback job, joins us at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. Get ready for the upcoming Utah Jazz season at the Jazz Team Store. End of summer sale, August 26th through the 28th at Vivint Arena. Get deals on the latest jazz gear. Come down today, man. See me. And not for Hoko. See me. I'll be there. From 2 to 6. You filling in. Jake's vacationing. Correct. You'll be uh, messing with Gordon for four hours. Correct. Going to hit him up with his plagiarizing again? (laughs) Then his expensive vacations. (laughs) And his long fishing stories. You have plenty to make fun of. It's all new material. First week of the month, I write that BYU is going to have to uh, validate this last season with this season. And then last week, he writes the same thing. I called him on it. I told him my lawyers are going to be uh, talking to him. Nice. In fact, he might be served with a subpoena today because I know he has to be there. Thank you for reminding me. I've got this attorney. She calls herself Hell on Heels. (laughs) (laughs) Or Hell in Heels, I guess. I don't know. You're on heels or in heels? DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Frank Dolce, our Utah Utes insider, former Utah quarterback, joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. 
That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. PK from the South Bay. So, man, it's great to uh, it's great to catch up with you guys again. It's great it, to be caught up. It is so close <laughs> to the start of football. You are ready. All, all ready. I'm always ready. I was really hopeful that the AAF uh, hashtag full speed ahead was going to this was going to be something because I liked spring football. I liked having Weber State play football in the spring. Um, but I guess we're going to go back to we're going back to normal. So it's just going to happen in the fall again. So when you see Brett McMurphy projecting Utah to the Rose Bowl, yeah, is that a little more than you had in mind for them? You think that's about right? It's uh, there's three or four teams, and it's a wild scramble at the top. So Brett could really write anything, any one of those three, four, five teams in there, and you'd be okay with it. What are you thinking when you see that? I think that maybe it says more about the Pac-12 than it does about uh, Utah and where all those teams fit. So Utah certainly has this consistency under Coach Whittingham. And like say, say, it feels like the same thing we've talked about for a long time with Utah. They'll bring, de- they'll bring a defense to start and then maybe try and figure out a little bit of what's happening on the – on the offensive side. And I do like that coach Ludwig is there for his third year. I think that is enormous on the offensive side, but a little, I still feel like there's a little uncertainty about how that offense will perform. We just don't have the same kind of feeling about, you know, Hey, Utah's defense is going to be solid. They replaced some guys. They kept some guys. They're super athletic in the back end. So we're going to be fine on defense. Um, but how are you know how are we going to be on offense? Running back by committee, a very accomplished quarterback, but still breaking in a new quarterback who probably doesn't have the same type of assets around him that he had at his previous stop. An offensive line that's a little bit of a question mark right now. He does have two really good tight ends, so I think that's a big bonus. But question mark on the offensive side. So so back to your point of. Yeah, to, I I believe that this is a Utah team that that could make the Rose Bowl and finally go down to USC and and win at the Coliseum and and come out with a maybe a one loss record in Pac-12 play, um, but it probably says you know as much about the Pac-12 as it does about Utah. Really bugs me with this Charlie Brewer. You know, he has all these stats coming over from Baylor, and we've heard so many media folk in their preseason talks about the Utes say, "Well, you know, they're they're getting a quarterback who hasn't been this accomplished and going into the season, blah blah blah, and maybe going into the season." But it's hard for me to imagine that he's going to be better than what my man Tyler Huntley was as a senior because it's just a couple years ago, but it seems like we forget that kid was really, really good and deserved to be in the Heisman conversation. So it's hard for me to imagine that the offense is going to be better than it was in 2019. I don't imagine that. I mean, I'm in, I, I'm, I fully align with your thinking on that. Like, 
I I think all of the stats that Brewer brings in, I think the way that he's practiced and the stuff that we see on film, all of that looks really good. And but I just am not willing to to make a statement about where he fits in the U, in the history of Utah quarterbacks um, until we see him, you know, under the lights in a in a Utah uniform under that scenario with with Utah's offense running down the field. So. I think that it, there's lots of hope uh, based on what he's done and the, based on the way he's managed everything so far. But um, I would still put the productivity of Huntley. He had that stretch where, you know, he was completing like 75% yeah. of his passes. Right. And, you know, and Utah was rolling down the field. Now, he did have the luxury of, of a guy named Zach Moss who sure. was averaging almost six yards a carry. And that's. I mean, that's the quarterback's best friend is a strong running game, and, and Tyler Huntley certainly had that. But Ludwig was able to, to manage him appropriately, and so I, I think that's probably the highlight in recent Utah quarterback history. And hope, I, I mean, I'm hopeful that Brewer can get to that point. It, all the, everything that we see about him points to the fact that he could get to that point, but I'm just not willing to say that, say that until we see it. So you're not ready for him to guarantee that he's going to average like 10 yards an attempt and uh, five touchdowns for every pick the way Tyler did? Uh, well, to, to be honest, I mean, that, that's, those are fa- fantastic stats. I like, the, I like the five touchdowns for every pick. That's, mm-hmm. and, and I know that you know, Coach, everybody knows that Coach Whittingham abhors interceptions and turnovers so that would that would be probably at the top of his list i would like to see i mean uh i think that yards per attempt number yards per completion number probably is something that could be um managed a little upward i think that would be helpful but if 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 utah has uh like they traditionally have had a strong running game and managing the line of scrimmage then then all you really need is 10 yards Per, per, was that per attempt or per completion? I'm not sure. What, it, it says Y slash A. Ten yards attempt is what I per, took. Per attempt, yeah. yeah. Ten yards per attempt. So if if all of the other factors are in place, then completing 70-plus percent of your passes and ten yards per attempt is going to be pretty good. Oh, um, for sure. But we just have to see, yeah, we'll just have to see if, if the running game um, develops the way that it has in the past. So this running game really intrigues me because I've been in this market now for 28 years, and it's probably not the case, but it seems like they've had 28 1,000-yard rushers because they always run the ball. <laughs> and I'm sure there's been a few that hasn't happened, but I can't remember them, or as I can rename the running backs, roll off the tongue. And, I mean, I think they would have been picked first if the tragedy to the young fellow Taylor, Tyler, Tyler. Jordan didn't happen, um, but obviously it did. And so the unusual aspect of the training camp so far has been four guys. And how are they going to find a starter from four guys? Because it seems they keep telling us that, you know, they're all right there. And so if they're all right there, then they're all going to get a shot. I would think, maybe not, and how's it going to be that they could 
go with four guys because you look at the tradition of the Utah running back position, it may start out as a competition. Even last year with Ty Jordan started out as a competition, but by the second or third game, there was no longer a competition. It was his job, and it was going to be his job for the next three years until he went off to the NFL. So I'm wondering how they find somebody to emerge, or do you think it's possible to have this rotation? If you have the production that equals a super running back, it doesn't matter, but is it possible to be able to have that when you're juggling guys in and out, or do they need that one dude, and how are they going to get to that point? Yes, there's lots of, lots of good questions in there. One is I think we have to go back and, and recognize that Utah never has a starting quarterback at the start of a season. Zach Moss wasn't a start or a running back. Excuse me, running back. Zach Moss wasn't a starting running back. Devontae Booker wasn't a starting running back. All of those guys had were in this running back by committee scenario until two, three games in and then everybody was like, Wait, well, that's the guy. It was an obvious thing. That's the guy. Right, but I'm wondering, and, can it be done out of four? So, it doesn't seem like they had four to choose from in the past. I, 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 I mean, I think that the four, the number four is kind of a, hey, we have four guys here competing for the job. Inside the ropes, I'm guessing it's more like, okay. hey, we have these two guys. So it's a little coach. And we speak. have these other we other we have these other two guys. Yeah. We're pretty good too, but you know, we have four guys. Okay. So I I think that we'll we'll go into probably two or three, maybe more, three games into the season and somebody will emerge. You can't have running back by committee with four guys in game scenarios. That just won't work. I've never seen a running back who can be productive with 12 carries a game. I mean, that just, that just doesn't happen. Right, right. So the, the best running backs need 20-plus carries a game. Yeah. And so maybe you could manage, if Utah's running the ball 40 times a game, which is reasonable, maybe you could manage a two-guy rotation. But three, once you get into three and four yeah. guys, unless you're using one as, as you know, the, the guy that just is a little different than everybody else, it just doesn't seem to work. So I could see a two-man rotation, but I think one of those guys is going to emerge two or three games. Well, what DJ's going to tell you is, Frank, they've got those two (laughs) cream puff games at the start to figure it out. Yes, yes, yes. For the big game three. (laughs) Game three is huge. Two, two. Cream puff games to start. Yeah. Which were which were those? Well, you got we, Weaver State we BYU. BYU to get ready for the trip to Carson, California, Wait. the legendary Weaver venue and the home of San Diego State temporarily <laughs> while they build a new stadium and they have a mediocre coach. So PK's just actually messing with you. <laughs> that you are going to blow San Diego State off the field. He knows I don't like well, I don't like this coaching hire. I think they're going to be a 500 team. Blah, plus, blah, I was blah. disrespecting the Cougars because I knew I was trying to get oh. in good with Frank. Oh, got you. I thought you were disrespecting <laughs> Jay Hill and Weaver State, and I would take offense to that. Okay, a hard first game, and then a cream puff second game. <laughs> and then a walk over third game. Jay Hill's my guy. Listen, I hope that Utah goes down to San Diego and, and takes care of business. I remember the days. I hope they go to San Diego, too, because then they'll forfeit because they'll be in the wrong county. Oh, yeah. Well,. So I remember when, when we went down to San Diego. We've had rough times. Utah's had rough times with San Diego. Alex Smith got just threw his first interception and got sacked twice in his first three snaps. Welcome home. When he, when, yeah, when he was brought back to, 
to San Diego. Who was who was uh, Mark Dan McGuire? Remember Dan McGuire, yeah. the six nine quarterback yeah. at San Diego State. It seemed like he threw for a thousand yards when we went down to play. Wow, at that's San a lot. Diego State. That's, that's better that's than Charlie of, Brewer. That's <laughs> a lot of yards. And and McGuire didn't have the background of, of Brewer. So I mean, big things for Brewer coming up. But but yeah, I mean, I yeah, I hope I hope that Utah can can manage San Diego State. Do, do you remember Ron McBride's walk-off interview after they missed a late kick to win what the game mean? and an extra point in overtime? That's, and Frank gave it, didn't he? Was that, that I didn't give the interview. That was uh, probably Sharif. That, that may have been Sharif. Sharif. On the I think it was uh, Sharif. Yeah, that and, was and, the onus of never doing a walk-off interview with Coach McBride again. He didn't get to. K- he stopped short of the. K- Eighty-five <laughs> <laughs> percent of the way to a disaster. Wait, I'm live. I can't say that word. He was moments away. He pulled back. Away. <laughs> he did. I remember oh, watching him thinking, was... "Oh no, no, not don't do that." <laughs> yeah, but very. I mean, it was kind of appropriate at the time. I think we all felt the same way. <laughs> To your point about the running backs, uh, they went into last season and uh, they had four running backs, but one of them got one carry. So they really had three in the opener. And one guy got five carries and one got seven and one got ten. Yeah, and and are, do any of those running backs remain? Bernard, who got the one carry for eight yards. Oh, Bernard. Yeah. 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 One, yeah the, one other, the other three were Ty Jordan, Jordan Wilmore, and Devin Brumfield. Yeah, I wonder how Wilmore and Brumfield are, are feeling about things. Oh, the they probably see who transferred in and probably think they did the right thing anyway. Maybe, and maybe that's true. Anyway, I think that I think the Utah running back position is uh, there's. I'm optimistic about it. There's no doubt. I don't think they they have the same productivity in the backfield they they had <clears throat> if if uh, Ty Jordan were still around, but. But I, I'm optimistic about that position group, no doubt. Well, I am too, because I think that part of the deal when they recruit offensive linemen is they place a heavy emphasis on how good you are at run blocking, because that's what they do. And so yeah. they're—I don't know who it's going to be. I can't tell you who's going to emerge, but I would be very much surprised if in ten weeks we don't look back and say, um, "Player X Y Z emerged just like they always do, whoever it might be." Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. No no question about it. So Kyle has talked about uh, how talented this team is and seems to have set a high bar here. And when you look the last two times uh, they won the division title, right, in 2018 and 19, they had five guys drafted, then seven. So, So at one point you got like 12 future NFL players on the roster. How many future NFL players do you see on the roster right now? Uh, I think I think there you you have uh, Keithy on the offensive side. Um, he's a, he, he's a guy that I think is has that potential. You probably have. I, I'd like to see. Uh, I mean, potential in the defensive backfield. You have that, but I, it's the same thing that we were talking about earlier. You just it's just potential right now. There's. There's probably two guys on the defensive line that have that that have that potential. Um, so I, I mean, conservatively, I would say that Utah has three really solid, 
prospects going into the season. Uh, I I kind of I'm on the fence about Britton Covey because I think that in the right scenario he has a shot, but but it just he just has to be in the right he has to be in the right situation. He's not a universal type of talent. Uh, so so he has to go to New so, England. So he has to go to New England. He has to go to. I mean, I think that New England, like Seattle, might is kind of a, a fit. He doesn't fit with the Raiders. Um, you, you know, maybe maybe with the Bucks because Tom Brady knows how to use that type of position. Um, if if Tom, who's who's older, Tom Brady or Britton Covey? There I mean, you is that go. the running is that the running <laughs> thing right now? Yeah, <laughs> Tom Britton Covey. We were saying the other day, Britton Covey. He's the only guy who's uh, a preseason All-American in college but has a pension plan already set up at the <laughs> U. <laughs> so, but I'm excited to see I'm excited to see Covey, man. He looks just as energetic as ever, ready to go. So, so maybe so anyway, I think three 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 guys I think that are super solid NFL prospects and I'm on the fence about about Britton Covey depending if he gets a shot at the right place. And yeah. and other guys, I'm I think will emerge, and I'm I'm specifically looking at the defensive backfield because I think there's a lot of talent back there. Yeah, and obviously Devin Lloyd is going to just uh, waltz into the NFL. I mean, that guy screams NFL talent. He's, just looking at him. He's he's darn good. Yeah, he really he is, is darn good. Yeah, he's going to have a massive season. He might be a first team All American. That wouldn't surprise me in the AP selection. Uh, yeah. We heard this news this week of this alliance. I don't know what degree you've been following it, but I listened to the whole thing the other day, and I mm-hmm. guess I, I I didn't put my I put myself on uh, mute so they couldn't hear me. But I'm screaming at the thing as I'm listening because they sent out a a thing that you can a link is what I'm looking forward to be able to do it. So I did it, and I'm screaming at it. What is this? And then a day later, we hear that SC. And LSU announced a series to be played or a game to be played in Vegas. And that's outside of this big alliance. I just can't figure out what in the world this alliance is going to do. And specifically, what is what do you think is in the best interest of the Pac-12? Because ultimately, that's what we care about. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it feels pretty kind of reactionary to me, like... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's really well baked at this point, or, or I, I don't know, even that well thought out at this point. It feels like, well, we have to do something. So let's talk about doing this. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, we're, we're headed down this path. We've all talked about it. Of, you know, the Power Five conferences just taking over, taking control of college football. And this feels like the next step in that happening and kind of leaving, just leaving everybody else to fend for themselves. And so I would say that um, and this alliance thing is a reactionary move. I would be shocked if they're not in discussions, conversations with the SEC about how all of it, an alliance, the SEC expansion about how all of it works together to keep the power players at the top and then just let everybody else kind of do what they can do to, to maintain college football. 
Um, what so in so for the Pac-12, what's in the best interest of the Pac-12 to survive is just to be kind of to remain attached to all of the other power to the all the other Power Five conference is is that that's in their best interest is to stay attached. I, I'm not. I don't think that. I mean, to say that the Pac-12 is irrelevant is is harsh, but but the Pac-12 hasn't really lived up uh, to the other conferences in 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 lots of ways and in, in lots of ways in football, which is you know significantly important. So uh, that that's my my thought on it is Pac- Pac-12 kind of on this the side of be, becoming irrelevant needs to stay attached to whatever's happening with the power five conferences to, to guarantee the survival of the conference. I think the thing that you want to say out loud is we're not going to let ESPN have this whole expanded postseason. Yeah. We're sending it to bid because CBS, I don't think, I think you were right about the PAC 12 has just been so diminished in football. ESPN will only take games largely. I mean, they're, they'll take the, the Notre Dame game and, USC Oregon, but largely they only want to televise Pac-12 games in that last time slot, which means 8:30 kickoffs here, and so they need yeah. to get t- games on the other time. They need to keep CBS, CBS, and Fox involved. And CBS and Fox are they going to stay involved if they don't have a share of the postseason, an expanded, you know, 12 team? Yeah. So yeah. I think that they don't want to say we're here to outvote the SEC and make sure right. CBS and Fox get playoff games, but they're going to get it, and they're also going to televise our games at times when most of America is still awake. My heaven, doesn't it always boil down to that? Yeah. Like, it, that's just the state yeah. of the union for collegiate athletics, football especially. It just kind of always boils down to follow the, follow the money, follow the TV, and you'll kind of yeah. come up with your answer. TV has the money for now, but it'll be streaming services soon enough. You watch. And, yeah. and those may be, lim- yeah. you know, some of the TV networks may be doing that. ESPN will be for sure. Uh, but it may yeah. be somebody else. Yeah. Frank, we got to run. We will talk to you next week. Look forward to it. Man, it's great to catch up with you guys. Looking forward to college football season. And, and I think we're, gonna, we're talking about doing uh, every Tuesday morning. So that'll be a highlight of my week. There it is. Thank you, Frank. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. Kalen Hall, former BYU running back and father of BYU starting quarterback Jaron Hall will join us at 9.05 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Dan Walking from USA Today. They announced this big alliance. Doesn't seem like it's much in terms of scheduling and all this other stuff that they paraded out yesterday. They're trying to stand together to shape what happens with the college football playoff. There's a lot of reasons for these leagues to do that, especially the Pac-12. Look, if I were them, I would have just put out a press release that said, hey, listen, we are working together to address NCAA governance and the college football playoff where our interests are aligned, and I would have just left it at that. Uh, but when they tout a historic announcement, well, what's historic about it? And the reality is nothing. And really, they're going to work together to make sure that the college football playoff is tilted toward their interests and not the SEC's. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. We gotta get to this big news. Join hands and Scotty Friday at the warehouse from ten to two. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, we'll have a boom tomorrow, but we got a boom right now because Utah's depth chart is out. It is public. We can speak to it right now. The depth chart just dropped. 
First thing you got to know is Man, I'm putting the, my hand in the dirt. Who are the starting eleven? And I'm looking at it right now, and it are looks you? like they've identified 18 guys as starters. Oh, that's how good they are, man. <laughs> that is how freaking good they are. They have 13 positions because they've got three wide receivers and two tight ends, a running back, and a fullback. Now, obviously, and a partridge in a yeah. pear tree. Obviously, Depending on the formation, they will need all those guys, and obviously they will not be going 13 on 11 because they'd really dominate if they did that. And then you got Woodingham. When he goes one-on-one against any coach in the Pac-12, he eats them alive. Even Cristobal, who thinks he's a tough guy, he ain't got nothing on my guy. Charlie Brewer is listed as the starting quarterback. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I just had a hunch. Cam Rising is the backup. (laughs) It's one of those crazy things, you know? You just feel it. After you're told privately off to the side months ago. <laughs> Only been waiting for three or four months on that one. Well, I used to go to Turf Paradise. I'd look at the horses, and sometimes you just had a feel, and you just knew it, and down the stretch they came. Running back, not in alphabetical order, not in numerical order, so I don't know whether to read into this or not. Micah Bernard or Tavian Thomas or TJ Pleasure or Chris Curry. The starters are in bold. And all four guys have their names in bold. Because they're bold. Each one of them is bold. And there's Joe Ludwig at fullback as the starter. I think that might be Andy's son, isn't it? Wide receivers are Theo Howard, Solomon Enos, Britton Covey. Britton Covey? Yes. That would be your X receiver, Theo Howard. He's your not an X. Z he's, he's receiver. He's receiver. He's a current receiver. Solomon Enos. And your R wide receiver, Britton Covey. Yeah. Well, just Britton stay healthy, man. They have a U tight end and a Y tight end. And then that will. Why? I know. They, well, what's he thinking? I know. All right? the letters, and you got to choose why? Exactly. I knew he had a soft spot. <laughs> <laughs> why isn't it the Q tight end? I knew deep down you just had to peel it away from that little 5'10 blowhard. I knew he had a soft spot for his alma mater. That's why he calls it why. Brant Keithy is the starter at the U tight end. I didn't see that coming. And at the Y tight end, Cole Farthingham. And Dalton Kincaid are both listed in bold. bold. So it's Cole Farthingham or Dalton Kincaid. Man, they got so many bold guys up there. Yep. There it is. Bam Olawasini. Remember when he came? It was like nine years ago, and we just built him up. Bam Olawasini, 6'8", 330, now a senior. <laughs> or Jaron Kump, who's 6'5", uh, 306, and he's a freshman. Well, yeah, he played last year, but I guess you get Everett, the, Yeah, you get the I, bonus year. So. Who knows? Right. Well, that's why Bam is still a senior. Yeah, Britton Covey says that. Well, but if you were a, if you're a six-year senior, then you're gone. Yeah. So we know that. But if you're anything below that, who knows? Although Britton has said he thought that this was going to be it. He said that to us at Pac-12 Media Day. Just hope he stays healthy. He stays healthy. He's so fun to watch. And he's a little dude. He's a great interview. There's not a... Yeah, what... John Rom said about Tony, Tony Finau, if you don't like him, there's something wrong with you. Same way with Covey. Kid's amazing. He's not a kid anymore, but he's amazing. And he's just amazing all the way around. 
The corners to no, on defense. Uh, the corners to no one's defense, surprise. Not defense. Defense, defense, whatever. <laughs> J- Travis Broaden and Clark Phillips the third. Oh sure, starting corners. CP three. That's what I'm talking about. CP three. Vontae Davis is the free safety. Uh-huh. Brandon McKinney's the strong safety. Well, that was the only question they had back right. there, and he's a transfer over there from uh, Washington. So Washington is a, a DB factory, man. I don't know what that means. They're cranking him out. I don't know that he could be another Buda Baker. Lomatele is the nickelback. So the secondary will have sophomore and freshman at the corners, a sophomore as the nickelback, and two seniors at safety. The battle at uh, defensive end, Van Fillinger is the starter. Opposite Mika Tafua. Of course he would be. He went to Corner Canyon. Boom. The defense was pretty much all set. Yeah. No big surprises there. But the quarterback is Charlie Brewer. Their stud linebacker, uh, Fury. But I don't know how many times they go with that. Right. Because a lot of times they're going with the 4-2. 4-2-5 because the Nickelback's playing so much. Yeah, they list 13 right. starters on offense and 12 on defense because right. they list four down linemen, three linebackers, and then five in the defensive backfield. But Kyle has said the four, just the way the Pac-12 plays, they've got to be in the 4-2-5 the vast majority of the time. Mm-hmm. That's what they've gone to. I think, I think like 70, 70, 80% of the yeah. snaps, depending on who you're yeah. playing. Obviously, it changes week to I'm week. I'm interested to see what Theo Howard can do. Saw him a lot when he was with the Bruins way back. He went to Oklahoma and now uh, now here. Uh, can he be – can one of these guys emerge? You know, Covey can emerge, but do I want him to emerge? Because he's 5'8", 170, yeah. and how many times a game would you like to see him get hit? Yeah, I know. Right. Howard has more size at six feet one ninety, and then Solomon Enos is the other starting wide receiver, and he's listed at 6'3", 207. Because I think it was a blow having Nakua and Thompson transfer. Yes. But, you know, can they overcome that potentially? But I don't know, man. Because if we're going to go on, well, they're going to have a running back because they always have a running back. Then you got to go with they're not going to have a dominant receiver yeah. because they don't have dominant receivers. Right. Of the six guys listed on the two deep, one is 5'8", one is 5'9", one is 5'10". That group's on the small side. Yeah. I love interviewing Cubby and Dixon. They make me feel so big. <laughs> <laughs> They're 40 times faster than you. Is there 40 time or 40 times? Both. <laughs> Their 40 time is faster than you, and they are literally 40 times faster than you. So that would be when, when you they finish the 40-yard dash, I wouldn't even have gotten to the one. That is what I believe. No. I'm going to take. No, I'm gonna you go, will have gotten to the I'm going to go Joe Ingles, you will Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> Ten pitches, I hey, can make contact. Hey, I that, can get to the five. When does that happen? we got to follow up on that. I know we're in the middle of the two deep now, but this, is, this has got to happen. Because when they come back in September, that's the time. Okay, but next week is September. Right, so we're here. Well, we got in August, in September, the ballpark's closed, and we got great weather, so we can make it happen. Yeah. If I'm Mitchell, I give him chin music right off the bat. <laughs> Brush him back. <laughs> knock him down. 
<laughs> After you plunk him in the ribs twice. <laughs> Just like, does, wow, I haven't thrown in a while. My control's a little off. <laughs> <laughs> does Joe even know to crowd the plate? I mean, I don't even know that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Right? Uh, <laughs> we could probably figure it out if that plate is sitting there, that there's got to be some type of thing. Okay, so on. the real mystery then in the two deep is the running back. Is, is there separation there's no, among there's no There's no mystery. There's there's no mystery in the depth chart. There's mystery in who is it going to be. You can't give four guys run right. carries. And it isn't one, so the question is, are two or three guys going to be splitting the, the carries in this first but game? They, I don't know if they've ever listed four. That's what's freaky, is I can't right. remember listing four. Right, but if you run the ball, um, I don't know if you have 32 carries in a game, what, are they going to give every guy eight carries? That doesn't seem... Hey, that was a good series there, uh, Tavion or TJ or whoever. Uh, take a break. We'll get back to you in four more series. <laughs> They're not going to give everybody that a series. Work. You're cold. I know. I, know. Uh, I think that for me, this was always going to be the most intriguing thing going into this first game, and it's going to be the most intriguing thing going into the second, second game. game. I think it's, it'll iron itself out. The quarterback deal was. It is what it is. It was going to be this way. It was always going to be this way. So it's like zero surprise for those of you. And I don't discount the guys who went and worked their butts off and wrote about it, put it on their online. There's a couple of guys who did that. And good on them, man. I'm not discounting that the work that they did because they worked and they deserve to be credited for that. And I'll give them, a, and I'm a former. Junkyard dog reporter myself, so I appreciate their great work. You know the coaches are assessing guys as they come into the program. That's why they come into the program. They've been assessed. And so it was going to be Brewer, and I'm not discounting the work that those men did. Congratulations on them for working hard and having your sources. Uh, But to me, it was always going to be who is going to replace Ty Jordan. That was always going to be the biggest question, and I don't have an answer to this. But if I'm the guy, somebody's got to start. If I'm that guy, I'm thinking, this is my job. I get first crack at it. I am just going to run like I've never run before because I want this job. That's what Kyle's looking for. And because I know that this job, this position, a quality person at this position is absolutely a springboard in the NFL. That's a fact. So if I can be big time here, I can make the NFL. Booker's been circulating around. I think he's with the Giants now, right? He went Denver and mm-hmm. Raiders and now Giants. Yeah, he's but, still in the but, NFL drawing a paycheck. Well, not only that. I, that is there, that. There's a, <laughs> yes, but I think there's a decent chance he'll be the Giants featured back. He it doesn't won't. matter. Well, I <laughs> Because it gets you your next contract. To your point about but, contracts. Yeah, I don't know what's Saquon, going with Saquon Barkley. Barkley isn't isn't full speed yet. He's not See, that's close. the injury thing that I'm talking about, not the, uh, the Jaron Hall. So Quan Barkley looks injury-prone to me because he's always injured. <laughs> and so that's another thing here, shifting gears, but I don't know that Jaron Hall is injury-prone. Injury but this running back position has always once the f- tragedy with Ty Jordan and then they started getting these guys coming into their program and we heard about Pledger, we heard about Curry. I didn't know much about Thomas and in fact I called him uh, Thompson in the beginning. I had his name wrong and then they start talking about Thomas and then you do a little research and think all right, they're talking about him. There must be something there. He's deciding between Oklahoma and Ohio State. Wait, he's going to Cincinnati. Wait, he's going to a JC. 
So something back around there that's got to right. be up. But nevertheless, here he is. But, Booker, Booker had that situation, too. But if Oklahoma too. and Ohio State are fighting over you and you end up playing at Cincinnati, have you looked at where those three teams are ranked? He's yeah. got to have some talent. For sure, yes. So if he can settle in somewhere. So I'm excited yeah. to see who is going to emerge because I know somebody. They always do it to you. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Kalen Hall coming up in 15 minutes talking about his son, the new starting quarterback at BYU, Jaron Hall. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Television voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend Craig Bullerjack. As you examine what the Jazz are now, what is your perception of what the weakness might be for this club? Weakness, probably the young type of shutdown defender. Nothing against Royce, but he's been put in some difficult situations still defending some of the best players in the NBA, and he's done a yeoman's job. But maybe does Jared Butler have that in him a little bigger? Does Pascal have that? I'm not sure. Haven't seen enough of him in this system, mind you. And how much does Rudy Gay have? You know, again, not sure. We're going to find out together. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30. Hans and Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness. Here on The Zone Sports Network. I got some thoughts from you for you. We got Kalen Hall coming up talking about his son. Yeah. What was the last time BYU beat Utah in football? I think I know where you're going with this. It would have been uh, 2009. Yeah, and we're Correct. in 2021. Yes. Oh my, that just seems like 50 years now. <laughs> it's a dozen. Uh, and- and then, and then they, this would be the eleventh, the, the tenth time. The tenth right, they time. didn't missed one. Right, they well, they missed two. They missed one last year during the well, Bizarro yeah, year. Yeah, but then, and the other year they missed. Right, they, they had the two years they weren't going to play, and they met in the Las Vegas Bowl one year. So. But last year was not a purposefully missed. Right, uh, it was a pandemically missed. And so, who was the quarterback then? Max Hall. Who's the quarterback now? Jaron Hall. You got to have a Hall at quarterback you if you're going to. Yeah. Right. When's the last time they won without a Hall at quarterback? Because Max quarterbacked in 2007. Would have been the Beck throw, right? Yeah. At that point, you had to have been from the Phoenix area. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jaron is not from the, he's from up here. But is there something to it? Hall to Hall? One Hall to another? BYU fans hope so. Oh, is it about the age? They hope so, that Hall? Yes. They hope 10 is not coming. Because that has become the youth fans' chant. 8 is coming. 9 is coming. Yeah, and it's 10 so is coming. Kyle had to figure out his fingers as he's walking up the tunnel, you but know. But 10. Yeah, but 10, you just... Yeah, you so don't have simple. to... Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. 10! Right, you just flash that two handfuls, and then you're not going to play for two years? This is the biggest game ever between these two teams. Kalen Hall, former BYU running back and father of BYU starting quarterback. Jaron Hall joins us next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in Kalen Hall, former BYU running back. His son, Jaron Hall, is now BYU's starting quarterback. Kalen joins us. 
On the Smart Rain guest line, it's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Kalen, good morning. And good morning. Kalen, before we jump in too deep here into your son and, and current things, I'm just curious, when you played, did you ever have anything negative to say about pretty boy quarterbacks? <laughs> no, no, because I always aspired to be one, so I was jealous. Therefore, I always looked up to our quarterbacks. So uh, I love the quarterback position, and we had some great ones when I played. They were all great guys, and so it was easy for me to rally around them. So, no, I did not. <laughs> one of the things that jumped out at me uh, when I listened to the coaches and particularly Jalen speak He's talking about how he'd been there for four years, and this is his fourth year. And I think that we forget that he's been in the program, and the, and you know, Aaron Roderick has been there all most of this time. That he's been in the program this long, and it reminds me what what Robbie Bosco told me years ago that when they had the assembly line of quarterbacks, it was. You come on campus, you probably redshirt, you back up for a couple years, and then you're ready to go. And we know there was a run there when those guys, when they got their chance, they hit the ground running. Uh, As far as Jalen being in the program this long, how much do you think that he is ready? Because even though he doesn't have a ton of experience, he's been around for a good while. Yeah, Jaron has been in the program. This is his fourth year. Um, it's and, and from my personal opinion, it, it definitely helps because you're familiar with the coaches. You're familiar with the system. You're familiar with uh, your surroundings. And you're just comfortable with all things BYU football. Therefore, uh, you don't have to deal with the stresses of learning a, a system. You only are in the position to where you're applying the processes that you've been put in place for X amount of years, and it makes the whole uh, movement of being the guy a lot easier. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, w- I would have to agree with Robbie. Uh, you know, in, in today's era, you know, everyone's concerned about right now instant gratification, whereas sometimes it's okay to wait. Sometimes yeah. it's okay to sit and watch. Aaron Rodgers had to sit and watch behind uh, Brett Favre for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, he turned out to be a pretty good quarterback. So, <laughs> Kalen Hall joining us. And I'm curious, uh, with Jaron, how much of an advantage is it to have a dad who played high-level football and to get that coaching when they're young? And how much is all of that overblown? How did it work out for you and Jaron as, as he progressed? Uh, you know, I, I think it really depends on, you know, how much uh, information and knowledge that, that player has because not every player is a good coach uh, and sometimes it's not good to coach your sons but uh, I will honestly say that since Jaron was eight years old you know I was his coach and and uh, you know I, I kind of prided myself in knowing a little bit uh, about the game and I also took Jaron to people who were uh, more informed at the position than I was uh, I always thought that you know coming to BYU I came to BYU because it was a pass first offense when I was a power eye back because I always wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to expand, you know, my skill set. Therefore, when my son was growing up, I noticed very early on that, you know, he had some natural talents and gifts throwing uh, balls in general. Started off with a baseball. And uh, I-, I love Peyton Manning. So the first jersey that Jaron wore was number 18, was Peyton Manning's jersey. Because I always loved the fact that 
you know, Peyton could process and disseminate information quickly. And he, uh, he often gave the ball to multiple receivers. You know, he dispersed the ball according to who was open. And, uh, you know, he was a quick study. And, you know, I, I, I was very intrigued with that because, you know, I was I was a cr- analytical thinker and I always thought about the game, you know, two, three plays ahead. And I got into coaching because, you know, I just love the ins and outs of football. So to be a dad who has a little bit of knowledge that has a good relationship with your kid, I think is very helpful. I mean, if you go by it the, the right way. So, yeah, I, I think there's some pluses and minuses to that equation. So one of the knocks on was a couple years ago is he had the injuries. And I'm of the Aaron Roderick school that he's not injury prone. At least he hasn't shown it because it's not where you're getting hit and a routine play. They were the concussion deal. Uh, What are your thoughts as far as him and the injuries being able to make sure that he's healthy? Because in order to play, obviously you got to be out on the field. Yeah, I and and I agree with Aaron. I you know there were some some fluke plays that took place, you know, some bad luck. Uh, Jaron's played football for an awful lot of years. He's never been injury prone. Uh, But what I will say is this, you know, the more information you're able to accumulate and uh, the more uh, football IQ you you acquire, you know, the quicker things are processed, the quicker the ball gets out, the better choices and decisions you make on the field. But you're going to play football. You're going to be instinctive. And so I'm not concerned about that whatsoever. Uh, you know, a lot of people made a lot uh, to do about that because that's the only thing that a lot of folks have to conversate about, right. you know, considering the body of work and the timeline that he's had on the field. So, no, it's, it's a non-issue in my son's eyes. It's a non-issue in the coaching staff's eyes, and it's definitely a non-issue in my eye. I've been there. I've played. I've, I've had concussions uh, in the past. I've had a couple of over 30 years of playing football. You know, it's just a process that unfortunately happens sometimes, but you can't really put yourself into a position where you need to worry about it. So, Kalen Hall joining us, former BYU running back, father of BYU starting quarterback, Jaron Hall. You say that doesn't concern you. Uh, you are a dad, and you do know a lot about football. So what does concern you? Uh, honestly, <laughs> it really there's not a lot that concerns me because at the end of the day, things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. Uh, either you put the time in and you put that time and apply it to uh, practical applications of things that are going to help you to be successful. And if you don't put the time in and you don't execute, then you're not going to be successful. So, you know, I, I kind of am a black and white guy when it comes to success or failure, because at the end of the day, you can only do so much. Um, and for me, uh, and it's kind of the same thing I told Jaron. I said, I've always had faith and confidence in you because this is a process that we've always talked about since you're eight years old. You know, it's not like we're surprised that you're in the position that you're in. You know, it's the process of allowing things to work out the way ultimately they were supposed to work out. You know, we're a faith-driven family. And if things are supposed to work out the way they have, then, hey, that's what they're supposed to do. And if they're not, then we're going to be okay with whatever comes out of this, this journey that we're on. You know, Jaron's worked extremely hard. Uh, his teammates have worked extremely hard. There are some phenomenal uh, individuals that are in that quarterback room with them. I love those kids. They're all just magnificent young men. But at the end of the day, you can't concern yourselves about worrying about things that are negative. My mindset is always about being positive, about moving forward, about putting your best foot forward, and then being okay at whatever those results may be. 
So he's a Utah County kid, and obviously you being his father played at BYU. When he was growing up, we hear a lot of these kids who just dream of playing in the stadium and being the quarterback if that's what they should play, if their position. Was that your son's situation? Did he dream of being a BYU football player and being the starting quarterback? Absolutely. Uh, First and foremost, it started with his mother and I. You know, we we both uh, participated in extracurricular activities at BYU. Um, Then it went on to his older brother, KJ, who was a phenomenal athlete there. Uh, and it was always from from my knowledge that he always wanted to be at BYU, and it's it's like it's about our, it's about our core principles as 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 uh, people, you know, is the foundation of what BYU is all about. That's who my son is. He is a he is a BYU guy. You know, sometimes you hear, well, this kid is a BYU kid. Jared's always been a BYU kid. You know, <clears throat> and for me personally, you know, uh, it's it's good for some, it's not so good for others. But for Jaron, he's always been a BYU kid. He's always had dreams of playing and participating and going and attending BYU. And that's just something that, you know, was bred in him from a very young age. And he took it and he ran with it. Uh, And so he's the fourth kid that we have now at BYU. You know, my son Dawson is a baseball player. He'll start this fall. And I have a son, Kyson, who's on a mission. He'll be there uh, after he returns playing wide receiver on the football team. So it's just something that for Jaron, yeah, he's always – He's always dreamed of being the, the guy, the quarterback, playing in front of 70,000 fans and essentially being a, a instrument in the hands of the institution for a greater good because, you know, he's a very well-rounded young man and he has a higher calling, we believe, and, and uh, you know, we'll just see how that turns out. So given the fact he always dreamed of being quarterback, was it pretty easy to give up baseball or does he love baseball and that was hard to give up? No, I mean, he, he, I mean, he's had a baseball bat in his hand since he was five years old, even before he played football. Uh, he loved he loved the sport, um, and he was, you know, was pretty good at it. I mean, some said that possibly he could have gotten drafted. Uh, so I hear from several coaches and whatnot. But you know, it was a difficult choice. But ultimately, you know, he really enjoyed baseball, but he absolutely lived for football. I mean, so you got to follow your passions. And that football was his passion. It was tough and difficult choice, but uh, something that he knew that he needed to do to put himself in the best position that he possibly could be in. So, yes, it was a difficult decision. So I think part of the storyline, if you're going to be a BYU quarterback, is you've got to work with John Beck and you've got to drive to Southern California uphill both ways and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that, hey, look, look, how did that go? <laughs> look, I, I don't get into all the melodrama. You know, we don't, you know, we're very simple folks. Uh, at the end of the day, the opportunity came to work out with John. It was an absolute must that we took that opportunity. Uh, Jaron had a phenomenal foundation, uh, Dustin Smith, uh, his his local quarterback coach, uh, you know, he was with Jaron since he was in the seventh grade, and he did a phenomenal job of getting Jaron prepared to a certain point. Now, John is the master technician of quarterback training. You know, there were some things that we absolutely had to go to John for, and John did a magnificent job throughout the summer of working with Jaron, of putting things to a to a point where, you know what, it's a new voice, you know. Maybe some of the things were similar, but he was just getting told them differently. But, man, J- John did a magnificent job, and he put Jared into a position where, you know what, his mechanics have been honed in. Uh, he, his torque ratio has increased. 
his velocity and the ball flight off of his hands. Just started shooting out of his hands. And, I mean, he always had a strong arm, but, man, uh, accuracy has, has been honed in. So, you know what? We took flights back and forth to California. You know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we invested in, 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 in Jaron, and, you know, we weren't driving nowhere. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's crazy, man. I'm not, you know, Jaron, to tell you, I, I didn't go to any of them. Actually, I didn't even go with him. But, you know, his wife went out a couple of times, and, and uh, Byron Rex and Isaac Rex were very good to Jaron, and he stayed with the Rex family. And, and uh, But it was a must. And he's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to work with John. John's a great guy. You know, he, uh, you know, no promises are ever made. You know, at the end of the day, the only thing that you can promise is hard work and, and a process to see if things work out the way you want them to. So. so do you want that to be brought up on every broadcast all year long? Will that make you happy? No. Nah, 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 <laughs> you know what, again, you know, at the end of the day, what I want to see after every broadcast, BYU wins the football game. That, that's what I want to see. All that other stuff, you know, just this is us. You know, I, I don't get into it, you know. And Jaron doesn't get into it. He just wants to work, and he wants to be successful, and he wants the team to win first, and everything else will work out the way it's supposed to. So because he is a phenomenal athlete, that means he can run, too, obviously. And uh, he can also throw. I think uh, we just got uh, Ralph sent us a text that, that you and he, your son, the only father's son to run. Uh, uh, KJ was uh, rushing for over a thousand or a hundred yards uh, in a game, mm-hmm. and and so with Jaron having that ability, uh, how much do you think that he's going to be able to use that? Uh, because you know BYU wants to get the ball downfield through the air, but yet Kalen can obviously move on his feet. Yeah, so Jaron has always been a pass first quarterback. Although he's all you know, people have said oh he's a dual threat guy, and you know he can run. He's an athlete, so forth and so on. But, look, he, like, from the time he was eight years old, he's always passed first and ran second. And nothing's going to change. You know, he, he will use his legs when he needs to. I mean, make no mistake about it. Um, Jaron, he can run. Now, he can, you know, defenses get a little too tight. You know, they blitz a little too much and they miss and he slips a tackle. You know, rather than going 10-15, he's going to take it 65-70. I mean, he can run. But at the end of the day, the options are always to distribute the ball to the talent that you have around you. And that's always going to be who he is as a, as a quarterback. You've got to make sure his guys get the ball in positions to where they can be successful, you know, uh, execute the game plan the way it needs to be executed. But bear in mind, if he needs to get up out of there, he's going to have to get up out of there and run. And he has no problem with that. So Peyton Manning was your guy. Was Peyton Manning – his guy, or did he have his own guy? No, you know, he's, you know, honestly, um, his guy has always been Russell Wilson, you know, because of a lot of the similarities uh, that they have. He's always been a fan of, you know, Russell Williams' work ethic, uh, his principles as a faith-driven man, even though he's a uh, mega celebrity, but he's always, you know, kept Christ first in all of his uh, conversations with anyone that's always been like a, a draw for Jaron and the fact that, you know, he's just a lights out uh, all pro quarterback that has overcome some adversities, you know, based on what people have perceived about Russell. And, uh, you know, that that whole um, it, it embodies who Jaron is. You know, he, he looks at Russell and a lot of things he's accomplished and the things he's gone through. And he's like, you know what, that's a similar track that I've been on in my life. So Russell is his guy. So how are you going to be in the stands? You going to be nervous? 
you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, who's who's to say? You know, I sometimes you're nervous, sometimes you're not. I, you know, my wife will be nervous, Holly will be, but for me, again, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. Like I like I told Jared, I was like, son, I, I I'm not nervous about like the quarterback situation. I'm not nervous about the competition. I'm not nervous about the season. I mean, because for me, man, I've always known that you're going to be where you're at today. I mean, it's like it's a confidence that. I've had because I've just I've seen his success. I've seen him, and I've seen his hard work. Man, I've you know a lot of people don't see the things that 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 this young man does, and I see his humility and the fact that you know what he puts the Lord first always, and he's just a good kid. And I know there's some good things that are going to come for him here at BYU and for this program. And you know, I just look forward for the successes for all the young men. So a lot of things have changed since you played. Also, some things haven't. But one thing that's definitely changed is the whole name, image, and likeness thing. Have you given any advice on that? It seems like there's a chance that could be a major plus for a lot of athletes. It also seems like there's a chance it could be disruptive in a locker room that already has issues. We'll probably see that across the country in some places this year. What have you thought about that, and how have you talked to them about that? I mean, honestly, I don't like it. You know, I don't like the name, image, and likeness um, um, scenario that has been, you know, that has been brought up by the NCA, and ultimately that has come through, you know, some outsiders that have decided that this is something that they wanted to utilize to benefit college football. But being that it's there, um, I think that it just needs to be, uh, you know, you just need to be careful about it because at the end of the day, football is a team sport. And, you know, why are the guys that are protecting the quarterback not being uh, benefited as much as the quarterback or the running back or the receivers? I mean, and in a lot of places, the quarterback is always well-revered. But, you know, you know, there's 11 guys on the field, always. And I believe that Kalani has done a magnificent job um, of Ohana X and putting, you know, more to life to help and to benefit some of the all, which is, you know, all 123 players, you know, with that built bar endorsement that they got. That's just awesome. Who does that? You know, and it's genuine and authentic for BYU. And I just told Jaron, actually, I didn't need to, even need to tell Jaron. Jaron was the type of guy, he's just like that. Uh, you know, can you take care of that NIL stuff? I need to worry about football. And, you know, some things are going to come. That would be great. But at the end of the day, you know, we need to win football games. And my brothers and I need to be able to be comfortable in our locker room and know that, you know, we got each other's back, you know, because monetary things sometimes can come between human natures, right? And uh, it could be something, to your point, that can be a distraction in the locker room. And, and I guarantee it's going to be a distraction. You got more young people thinking about their endorsement deals and not enough putting time into the game, preparation, the extra work, and all the little integral details that it takes to be a team and a unit. But I could say this, those young men over at BYU, I think they've gone by it the right way. Um, they've got a pr- they have an exceptional good chemistry going. And this NIL thing has not affected those young people over there, at least from the little bit that I've heard and what I've seen. And, you know, i got several nephews on the team, and, you know, I, I talk to the boys. And so they got a really good vibe over there. So, I mean, I guess it's a good thing on one, on one level. But, again, I think it can get really out of hand. But BYU's done an amazing job of processing uh, the, 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 the young people to the point where they're keeping them focused on the right things. And now bear in mind, Jaron's got some things that are going to be coming out, you know, just because it is what it is. I mean, he's a charismatic young person, and, you know, folks want to, you know, utilize some of his talents and skill sets. 
But, uh, you know, in large part, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but, you know, you got to go with what's going on right now, right? So. Well, Kalen, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, and uh, good luck to your family and Jaron as the season unfolds. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys, and uh, you guys have a blessed day. Kalen Hall, former BYU running back. His son, Jaron, is now BYU's starting quarterback. If you missed it, the Utah depth chart came out earlier today. We will get you up to speed on that next. Stay with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON, on your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. There wasn't a lot of separation. You know, they both guys had good camps. They both played well. Both had their down moments. Both had their good moments. Thought it was good overall for both of them. Uh, we just made this decision. We think it's for the best for the team right now moving forward. But we have two good quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that we can win with. And uh, unfortunately, you can't play with two. There's league rules and there's my rules. They ain't going anywhere. We're going the same as last year. I don't give a crap if they're vaccinated or not. They ain't going anywhere. Bruce Arians right there, Bucks coach after kicker Ryan Suckup, who was vaccinated, tested positive for the virus. Bruce wants to win back-to-back Super Bowls, and he doesn't want to be losing players for any reason, so nobody's leaving a hotel. Family's not coming on the road. I'm locking you guys down until we win it all. Is that he said crap? <laughs> <laughs> He's Bruce Arians. That was a little bit of a shock. Yes, that there was because you ex- thought he would have said. <laughs> There's not an actual expletive in there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Before that, that was Vic Fangio with the uh, what? What coaches have to say this time of year? That's what they say when there's a quarterback battle. Very little separation. It's very tight. Yeah, we got two guys we can win with. Well, we're all past that now, and it's it it, it is time to play games. Yes. Please play games. Yes. Please play games. We have a few games. I'm going to be watching uh, UC Los Angeles and Hawaii. Absolutely. And uh, Southern Utah and San, San Jose. Jose State. San Jose had a great season last year. You There's did. no question about that, man. And so, and Southern Utah obviously is a state school. And so I'll be watching that later in the evening and probably catch Nebraska and uh, Illinois. Conference game, week zero. Weird. Yeah, and I want to see how it, how these deals of these illegal practices during the pandemic affects Nebraska. It'll give me a little insight on the Sun Devils because uh, I don't know if they had illegal practices, but they were recruiting, or they got caught recruiting. Leave it that. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> they got caught. Three Mountain West teams playing. Mentioned San Jose and Hawaii. Fresno State's playing UConn week one. They should kill them. You would think they're favored by 27 and a half. Oh, wow. Are you kidding me? That's huge. I didn't realize it was that big. Oh, I thought you were mocking. Yeah, Fresno's favored by 27 and a half. No. Yeah, when you no. said you kill them, I thought it's, you'd looked at it because, yes, no. they should. It's a four touchdown spread. Yeah. Yeah. They're at home against UConn and that'll run them off the field. And UConn hasn't played since 2019. Right. That's more and more of what I was going on. And their program seems like they're de emphasizing football. And right. So I just, no, I didn't know it was that big. 
UCLA by 17 and No, a half. I haven't looked at any odds this week. UCLA by 17 and a half, San Jose State by 23 and a half over Southern Utah. Nebraska is a one touchdown favorite over Illinois. And no, I have not memorized this. I'm looking at it on a computer right now. UTEP by 10 over New Mexico State. That's the one game that isn't uh, televised. Everything else is Ooh. somewhere. CBS Sports Network, ESPN, Fox. That's whatever. not being televised? Nope. UTEP at New Mexico State. It's streaming on like Flow Football or something. Yeah, such. Aggie Vision. It's yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get on low. that, man. Yeah, okay. You want to watch the Miners and the Aggies play. That's a rivalry game. He's yeah, been to both those places. It is a rivalry Wait, game. Wait, have you been to Las Cruces? Yeah, was it yeah. 40, 50 miles apart? Yeah, yeah they are. But yeah. New Mexico State is yeah. not good. I wonder if the Pac-12 Pac can create a little more value by offering up more than one game on week zero. What do you mean? When the networks need Oh, down the line. Content. Okay, yeah. I thought you meant this week. <laughs> okay. Yeah, week zero. I mean, they're giving ESPN a game at one thirty, so that creates some value there. But maybe ESPN doesn't want a 6 He's o'clock always game. thinking money, this guy. That's what Jeez. college football is all about, big guy. How about life, big guy? Or bigger guy? <laughs> bigger guy? Start in. We got you two deeps, and you've decided let's waste time on uh, fad jokes. <laughs> Body I shame. I, I can't help it. When people come at me, I only know of one thing. It's I wish it weren't that way, but I can't help it. I apologize for the rest of my life. <laughs> but when I feel attacked, I come back. <laughs> the youth sent out the two deep this morning in the eight o'clock hour. I want the three deep and the four deep. Charlie Brewer is the starting quarterback, and Cam Rising is the backup. At running back, you get your four deep, PK. They don't list them in alphabetical order, and they don't list them in numerical order, so I don't know if this matters or if it's just totally random, but they're all in bold, so they're all starters, and after their name, it says or, so Micah Bernard or Tavian Thomas or TJ Pleasure or Chris Curry. It's not Micah, isn't it? Mackay. Mackay Bernard. It's spelled Micah, it's Mackay. Yes. Yeah, that always gets me too. Yeah. Mackay Bernard is the first name listed. Been in the program the longest. Makes sense. But Ludwig told us there's a battle for the third team. I want to know who it is. We just found out that Jackson Dart has been named the backup at USC. Nice. The heir apparent until they get five other five-star quarterbacks in there in the offseason. Well, we uh, we ran the uh, the bite with uh, Dave Peck, who's coaching at Bingham again, and Bingham's playing your Corner Canyon Chargers. You told and me it's the game of the year. The game of the year. I don't know that it's the game of the year. I think Lone Peak Corner Canyon would be a big game. But this is a, it's a game of the week. It is a huge game, and it could be the game of the year. Um, Gene as far as regular, was calling me about it. As far as regular season, I assume when... <laughs> Gene. Can you pick me up at the airport like Rick did back in the day? Gino and I go way back. It's a huge game. But what, would, what was Peck saying? That they just sent one USC commit off to USC, and they get another quarterback who moves in, and he looks like he's going to be a USC kid, too. They've he's always got committed. a USC quarterback. Right, but it's verbal, so he can change and blah blah blah. But yes, he has. But all not the every USC quarterback pans out. That's true, and not every USC quarterback goes to Corner Canyon. It just seems like it. 
So, but that's a big move. You're, that's the best you but can hope for when you're a freshman. When Slovis is there and you're a you're, freshman, you're competing for the backup. So the right. the literal competition that he could win, he won. Yes. The ceiling was not the roof. The ceiling was second string. No, it's a little bit different guy. with uh, Utah because whoever wins that third job, uh, you start rising ahead of you, mm-hmm. eligibility wise. Uh, and then they've also uh, they recruited like the world's fastest human from Fresno or something to play quarterback, and so that it, always raises an eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes on and on. Is I know, point. but if you're that good an athlete, you play quarterback in high school. That's quarterback and running back where they put the great athletes. So college coaches will go out and recruit quarterbacks and running backs, but they're not always looking at them as quarterbacks and running backs. Sure, yeah, I'll they, give you a no, shot. they are for know. the first couple of weeks, right. and then when you realize, hey, I'm never going to get on the field. Then you're a safety. Then you're susceptible to be willing to change, and then and they change fa- you, right. and then you become a star. And you'd fans are, are riding in their cars thinking, that's our Kyle. <laughs> he got a fast guy. That guy doesn't win the job pretty quick. He'll be a fast and, and guy you know, in the I secondary. listen to the, what those guys say. Absolutely. Because they, they might end up sending you to the NFL. Yeah, it's like that Jerry Hughes story at the TCU. He called his father after the third day. Dad, they don't have me playing running back. Well, what did he say? Patterson said, I'm going to play in the NFL. I said, yeah. He said, no, you're a defensive end. What should I do, Dad? You're a defensive end, son. Is he still playing in the great, NFL? Great advice. I, I think he is a decade yeah. in. Yeah. He was Buffalo. He was Buffalo for a long time, yeah. And he, he's, yeah. he was a star in college for sure. Yeah, That was back when... Uh, I don't know if had a good thing going on back then. Jerry Hughes single-handedly beat BYU two years in a row, it felt yeah. like. He's still he's still in Buffalo. Yeah. 33, just turned 33 in August. Yeah, if you're in the NFL and you're playing at 33. 33. Yeah. Hey, you've crushed it. Yeah, hats off to you. So who cares what the kid plays? But the point is, they just recruit quarterbacks. You have to recruit quarterbacks every year. Look at BYU. What do they got, like nine guys on scholarship, man? They, got, they literally have five quarterbacks on scholarship, don't they? That's great. I believe they do, yes. Five on scholarship, at least seven in the program overall. So but it's like Kyle yeah. says, this isn't the NFL. There's no waiver wire. You got what you got. So well, well, Aaron's there is told a us waiver, waiver yeah, wire. The transfer portal. I mean, everybody knows Conover is going to go back home and he's going to start next year for the Sun Devils. Gonna, You're just throwing that out there to cause trouble. <laughs> he's going to be number 17 <laughs> for the Sun Devils next People year. People literally don't know that. That job is going to be open. We're going to stay here. Uh, he's been, what? He's been here two years. At that point, you ought to have found your eternal sweetheart. So then you go down to Tempe and you take over. It's waiting for you, man. The he, high school coach is the running backs coach on the team. I mean, come on. You're Look a guy you who go. knows two and two equals four. I would like to have an off-air conversation <laughs> with Aaron Roderick right now. Go ahead. Kalani's, too, Kalani's too nice. <laughs> well, bringing me back to my original point, though. A-Rod Although that would be more spectacular if he said what I thought he'd say. A-Rod's told you guys in the past he will take a quarterback in every recruiting class. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, just yeah. part of the plan. He understands that you can never have too many guys. Oh, they've got, they've got their quarterbacks mapped out to 2025. Now it could change certainly. Oh yeah, they'll could, be remapping. But they they know who they're recruiting and who they believe they have a good chance to get. So and this year too, that's why this year is so huge for these guys because if they look really good offensively, I don't believe Aaron Roderick is going anywhere and he's got control of the offense. Kalani has confidence in him, blah blah. blah. They have a tight tight relationship. And so it is all set up for them to where certainly the LDS kid is going to pay a lot of attention to them. 
and they're set up to to reel in some guys, man. If they look good this year, this is a this is a critical year. This year can back up last year. Plus, it can it can set up for them in the future because I believe that uh, Aaron Roderick has a personal situation that uh, dictates basically that he stay in the community. And so, with that in mind, you don't have to worry about him. The 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 you wanted Grimes to leave for another coordinator position because that many succeeded. You didn't want him to leave for an offensive line position because that might have been he didn't succeed. But you knew he was going to come here and he was going to and he was super ready for the job, no question about it. And so he was going to have success and he was going to take off. And sure enough it happened. The second they hired him, that was going to it's like Urban Meyer. The, the same similar uh principle on a higher level that we didn't think it would be two years, but nevertheless it was. And so, but my point is, I think Aaron Roderick is here to stay. And so you can really build on this thing. Grimes came to BYU with a three-year plan and did it exactly yeah. how he thought it was going to yeah. go. And he went home to Texas. Everybody feels good about him. Uh, good, luck, good luck for Baylor and all that stuff. I, I got another guy I got to root for. I got so many freaking guys now because I've been around forever that I got to root for. Because Grimes was as good as they come as a person. That's certainly to me he was. Baylor, Virginia, Utah, BYU, Utah State, Arizona State, Weber State. I know six teams you're rooting for for sure, but I, I feel like I'm missing a bunch of them. Yeah, there's a lot of dudes out there that have moved around. So, uh, yeah, see what happens. My rooting doesn't matter. So, uh, But I want all these guys that I know to succeed. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Ochre Mountain Pharmacy today and have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. That's Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Got multiple questions up today. BYU's named the starting quarterback. Utah's about to release the two deep. Obviously, they have now. Are you good with the way the quarterback derbies have played out? And Bart says, I'm good with the quarterback pick at Utah. Don't give a rat's behind a pick about the pick by the team down south. <laughs> well, not. They're on your schedule. Yeah, I know. And that kind of bitterness, I think, suggests to me that the game is getting closer. We're almost there. I mean, I pay attention. And I probably would do it. Obviously, it's work, so it's a little different situation for me. But just as a fan, I would be interested in who the Pac-12 quarterback or the yeah the 12 quarterbacks. Yeah, are if there's in the Pac-12. a Pac-12 quarterback, especially in the South, but really anywhere in the Pac-12, if there's a a quarterback derby, I was curious how it plays out. Yeah, and- 16 days to the rivalry game. I just think there's more tension, so there's more. That's what I'm hearing from Bart right there. Bart's getting his game face on, getting fired up. Who cares about those guys? I mean, the truth is he does because he wants his guys to win. And it's all relative. All right. How good are they? How good are we? Let's go to Delilah on the open mic. Delilah. The Holy War is alive and well, and I'm with the Lord's team. Magic is going to happen on September 11th, and they're going to be pumping our gas after. <laughs> so, PK, that was Patrick for you. Patrick. I disguise my voice. I really want people to win so bad. 
Uh, got a lot of reaction. Tony Fina went to Ruth Chris to celebrate his win on Monday. First breakthrough after five years. And then he did need to double down. Turned out Literally. he couldn't sleep. He was fired up. He needed another meal at 3 a.m. Who don't? McDonald's. Yuck. Rattle through us that uh, you seem to have memorized that. Oh, I, it was all over the place yesterday. Mm. So he had a Big Mac, a double quarter pounder with cheese. Cheese. <laughs> I know, right? Ten, and at that point, I'm already like, whoa. <laughs> ten nuggets, so ten McNuggets there, a large French fry, I believe it was an Oreo McFlurry, mm-hmm. and just to yeah. top it off, a bottle of water. Well, That's you got a little sugar there. You need some water to help your body break that She just gotten a, like a Diet Coke with it, you know? I, I actually, when I leave here, there's, there's a Mickey D's two or three blocks away. I want to just go through the thing, not to order anything, but just to add up all the calories because they put them on their menu. You can do, you can do it, it online. online. Is yeah, it all available just, online? Just, yeah, yeah there. McDonald's.com's got all the nutritional information. Why didn't we do this earlier this morning? This would have been hilarious. What is that, like 3,000 calories at 3 a.m.? Hmm. That's a rough one, what? But uh, he probably works out like a fiend so he can handle it. I just think I would get sick. It was a double quarter pounder. Double quarter pounder what with it? cheese. What's what's a double? It's quarter two patties, pounder? so it's a half pound burger. So that and the Big Mac's five fifty, and that's seven forty. So you're already at about thirteen hundred calories. Oh, that's not Big Mac's only five hundred calories. Five hundred and fifty calories. Yeah, in a Big it Mac. alone it's only five hundred. The whole thing, including the bread. I'm, I'm, I went to the website, like yeah. you said. I it's said McDonald's, McDonald's menu yeah. calories. I, I Googled it. It says Big Mac, 550 calories. Double quarter pounder with cheese, 740. French fries is where it gets you, though. What French are, fries will get you. Um, what are they? I haven't, I'm, I'm looking here. He's I don't see them yet. <laughs> I thought Big Mac would be more than that. I did, too, honestly. I'd, most people, I think. The double cheese ba- burger is 450, so you can really slim down there. Yeah. Um, so if you ate, a, you could have a Big Mac a day and then just go well, they easy did the rest mo- of the day they and you're mo- okay. They did a movie on that. I, no, no, did you see the dude recently who has eaten 32,000 Big Macs? He's eaten a Big Mac every day for years. No. 32,000 of them. The McFlurry is listed as 340 to 640 I, calories. So is there some... I have no idea what a McFlurry is. It's their milkshake. Oh, I think okay. it's probably what you have in it. He said, I think he said an Oreo one, but... The French fries is what I'm wondering about. How many calories those? I'm looking. I'm looking back. for the come fries. Come on, come on, here. come on, come on. And large fry. So he went all the way to the top. I don't see him. Yeah, well, you can probably find it somewhere. Yep. It's a lot of calories. Yeah, you're 31. And, and like you said, he works out six like four. And, and he had the adrenaline going that day. Just burned right through it, probably. Yeah. Probably sprinted from his hotel anyway. Now, now, Tony, how often do you do that? Do you only do that when you win? What? Eat that or yeah. sprint? Where are you going? Robert says he'd go to Red Lobster. Okay, sure, yeah. I expected a lot of Olive Garden, Gordon Hayward jokes, but we didn't get them. Oh, Definitely Wendy's four for four, Simeon says. <laughs> what is that? It's their... Value menu. Oh, what am I getting? You get a burger, fries, nuggets, and a drink, I think. Oh. Four for four. My personalized license plates. There it is. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're done today. Scotty and Hans are about to get started right here on The Zone Sports Network.